0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Backstage Podcast. My name is George Santrizos. If this is the first time you're listening to this, please do me a favor. Press pause right now. Go listen to the introduction episode, find out why I created this podcast, how the whole idea came about, and then come back and listen to our very first guest. His name is Pantelis. He's a very good friend of mine. He's a stand up comic out of Montreal who has seen his career completely skyrocket in the last two years. We're going to talk about how it all began the different collaborations that impacted this growth for him, what he's working on right now, and everything that he has in store for the future. So I'm very excited to share this conversation with you. Let's roll the intro and get on to it. That's
1: fine. I went on silent yeah
0: thanks for being here man I appreciate it thank you for having me Pantelis this is good just just uh you know to be honest with everyone listening this podcast would have been launched way uh ahead of time but i wanted to make a point for you to be the first one but you're so damn busy <laughs> that we had to, we we had to keep postponing which is a good thing which is a good thing and i didn't mind
1: you got time to build a new studio yeah, what is this you have I, an I, actual studio yeah
0: yeah i i have so much time right now in my hands that <laughs> i uh, that i brought out the hammer the nails the the saws and the uh,
1: You actually built soundproofing panels instead of buying them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. You're a real handyman. It it gave me something to do while I was waiting for you to come. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, I wanted to make a point um, to have you first because, and this I spoke to you about, I mean, you're kind of the inspiration behind this podcast. Uh, And uh, I've been following you for a very long time. And uh, obviously, we're going to talk about uh, the exceptional year you had last year in 2018. (laughs) And 2019, that has kicked off uh, uh, just spectacular. Uh, for you. Yeah. But I remember this whole podcasting thing. I mean, I think we sat down I had called you in 2008 or 2009, I can't remember. I was really into photography and I I I I was seeing that you were, you know, recording this podcast I had no clue what that was you're doing this thing with your friends and I thought well that's gonna be fun let me just go shoot some pictures it'll yeah. be like a little lifestyle documentary thing or whatever and we sat down for coffee and I think that's when you had told me I'm not sure if you were doing comedy yet or if you were thinking of it or if I was you were, thinking of it or you had done a few open mics or whatever and uh, you had told me yeah this podcasting thing man it's huge and everybody's doing it and uh it's going to get big. I had no idea what the hell you were talking about. I'm like, what podcast? What, what is that? You know? And I've been following you since. And obviously since then, uh, the whole comedy thing has taken off. The podcast is uh, is absolutely incredible. And uh, I mean, geez, man, it's just a pleasure to just follow you. I mean.
1: Uh, yeah. You, uh, now that you mentioned, you have been there since the beginning. You've been there since my first podcast with my friends. Yeah. Um, when podcasting really wasn't a big thing. Nobody understood what I was doing. Uh, I was like, is it radio? What is this? Is it live? So we grew from that and I started podcasting four years before I ever did an open mic. Oh, wow. So it's not everybody thinks that I I did a podcast just because I was doing comedy. Yeah. But it's completely untrue. I I was doing radio, well, you know, podcasting four years before I ever thought of going on stage. And then after that, everything just clicked. It just went in together. Yeah. And it makes sense.
0: But did you have any idea that, okay, I want uh, comedy is, you know, that's what it's going to be. So let me just, uh, or it just followed no. naturally
1: no I, I always liked being I was always the funny guy in the group I, I like telling jokes but I never thought I could do stand up um, I always thought that it was for other people Yeah. so I figured people would tell me oh you should go do stand up you're funny and I always thought that was a stupid thing to tell me because <laughs> you hear that about people you see it at parties like this guy's a funny guy you should be a comedian and they should never be comedians they're idiots right? <laughs> so I didn't want to be that guy but I gave in to peer pressure and harassment and I said okay look I'll do an open mic and I'll prove to you guys that I'm not funny on that stage that I suck yeah yeah and the opposite happened. Yeah. So then I was like, wait a second. Why are these people laughing? What is going on here? And uh, that first month when I started doing stand-up, uh, I got invited to the comedy works to do their um, uh, best of open mics or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I went to the finals in my first month and I lost to a professional comedian. Yeah. So then I was like, wait a second.
0: Which is, which is incredible. If yeah. you think of it. Yeah.
1: If, if this just happened, if I lost the finals to a pro and I've been doing this for three weeks, there's something to this. Yeah. I, I have something. So then I continued. And I started. I fell in love with stand up. I fell in love with with writing jokes, with thinking about jokes, talk about my life on stage, and turn them into something that's you know palatable for a mass audience. And I never looked back. Uh, and the podcast just kind of carried along with it. Um, I learned more techniques. I learned you know how to speak on the radio, um, how to create content, videos. I moved on to video editing. I, I taught myself how to do all mm-hmm. that stuff. And uh, yeah, now we're here. And it's what twelve years since we had I had first ever started. Uh, thinking about doing podcasts. Wow, and yeah, and comedy. When did you start? Uh, twenty twelve It was April twenty twelve was open mic. That late? Yeah,
0: that, I started late. So yeah. then we must have met. It was in two thousand eight. Then two thousand nine. We probably met after that.
1: No, we met that because uh, I started the podcast around thousand eight or, I think two thousand eight and maybe two thousand ten. But started. I
0: remember you were telling me that you're you're getting into comedy and that you were going to start. So and and I never did.
1: I never did until twenty twelve. Wow. Well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I remember. I came. I. I, I uh, I came to a lot of your shows. You came uh, to
1: 2013 when, uh, yeah, you, you were the first person, I think, to document it in photos. My first half hour. <laughs> there, there
0: was one in the East End and then there was one at, uh,
1: where was the other one? At the Theater St. Catherine.
0: Yeah, but there was another one also that I came to. I
1: can't remember which one. Um, Whatever. Oh, there remember? was also, I think you were there at the Cafe Campus, no? That was 2014, I want to say. Possibly. I, yeah. I don't know. Oh yeah yeah that's what yeah yeah campus yeah yeah, yeah 2014 yeah, or 15, i don't remember but one of those two I don't know
0: it's going so fast but 2018 man what a what a spectacular year
1: oh yeah that was it that, that was my big year that was a kind of a combination of everything that i've worked so hard for and i finally got to see it uh see a lot of people
0: see a lot of people don't understand that there's so much work uh and sacrifice involved behind anything right like they look at you now and you know we're going to get to what you're doing now what you did in 2018 but they're like who is this kid? I mean. Yeah, you know? I
1: get that a lot. Yeah. Wow. I, I get the, uh, it's some kid from Park X. What is this? What's just going came on? came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere. And yeah. little do they know, nothing I've done has been out of nowhere. The standup hasn't been out of nowhere. I've been doing this for years. Uh, the podcasting, which everyone's impressed with, is uh, is insane to me when they say things like, uh, oh, you just, started, you just started doing a podcast and then you, you had this big one. I've been doing it for longer than most kids are alive right now. <laughs> they like, your kids weren't alive when I started doing it. No. They Think weren't. about it. I wasn't even married. Yeah. It wasn't even an idea. No, it's funny because there are like, I know that there are 18-year-olds, 16-year-olds that listen to it. So I have people <laughs> that either weren't born or they were four years old or they, when I first started. So it's, I've been doing this for a while. But it just seems, it seems that when you hit that point where
0: things just go well and it's like the snowball effect right yeah that's what it is And that just rapid it, 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 at least in your in your case i've been following you and i mean how do you process this i mean it's it just seems that one thing is stuck to the next and it just keeps going on and on and on and it just keeps growing and it's phenomenal
1: well that's it's funny that you say it like that because that's how i feel sometimes i keep thinking oh this is it this is the pinnacle yeah and then something else happens and steps on that and then something else happens and steps on that and now i've learned just to shut up and uh go with the ride and take it all in yeah you're doing this full time now
0: because yeah. I remember there was this transitional phase there and uh...
1: yeah so I even like I used to work in video games I used yeah. to and I used to like working in video games a lot and then I went on to work in just managing mobile apps and like I had I've done a lot of different work all in all in um, technology I guess mm-hmm. uh, before being able to do this full time um, and then now it's just uh, it snowballed it picked up and you know as soon as I became we talked about this as soon as I was able to become my own boss I think I found my way. Like you get that freedom, yeah. And you you don't really have to answer anyone. Like yeah. even on my show, it's not like I have to answer anyone. We're on a network, but they let us do whatever we want. Yeah. Um, my jokes. I always talk about my life, so it's not like I have to adhere to any. You know, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's offensive or not. So what happened? Mm-hmm. It's these are the facts. So I don't. I like not having to answer anyone. I think that's why a lot of comics become comics.
0: Yeah. They just find the situation, but this is the other thing too, though. You have an outlook on things much different than anyone else. Like you're probably going to be at a funeral home and instead of crying or sympathizing with the people, you're probably thinking, geez, yeah, I can make a couple jokes in here.
1: I've done that. And I did that recently. Actually, I was at a funeral where I was sad. It was, it was a, but then just a joke came into my head and I whispered it to my girlfriend. And then she tried not to laugh. Yeah, at she's people. like, I'll yeah.
0: just go to the bathroom for a second uh, and just laugh by myself where nobody can hear me. Like
1: That is crazy. Who says that here? I was like, me? That's who says that. <laughs> <laughs> so it does, it does, yeah. Your mind automatically goes to funny. Like, um, even here, the first thing I did when I saw you when I came here, I started yelling at you for living here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're not the only one. Uh, sometimes I find myself yelling uh, to myself as well. It, what right? F- what are you doing here? But uh, no, I mean, we, we've had this conversation so many times about the suburbs and uh, it, it's expensive, man, to live in Montreal.
1: You right. you tried to trick me into moving here years ago and and you almost succeeded. Yeah. But then I started thinking about it and realized how my life would suck. It doesn't suck. And here's the thing
0: um, that I tell people about living in the suburbs, because, I mean, when we're talking about suburbs, I mean, we're not far away or lost.
1: You're uh, on another island. What are you talking about? No, we're not on another island. This I mean, is a different island.
0: Yeah, but we're just across the, the shore, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> we're the, uh, this is how I see it. You want to go to downtown Montreal, at least you're the closest to the center, right? Uh, and I guess that's- In
1: terms of being off
0: the island. E- exactly. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, the, the whole the whole premise here is that Montreal is way too expensive. So where do we where do we find a place to live, uh, where we can be the closest to the court? Let's see. You know, this is all your core. fault.
1: You were in the government for so many years. You should have put a stop to these prices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: stop it. Uh, no, but see, I mean, I don't know. At least that's one advantage that I see about living here. And I tell my wife all the time, I miss living in Montreal. Yeah. We, we, you know, we got married and we were living downtown, like. Doesn't get more downtown
1: than that. Like where well, you were yeah, you were a beautiful spot. You too. had to come, I think. To, had I hadn't come inside the place, but oh, I, yeah. I know the building. We had spoken about so, it. So
0: I loved it, man. And sometimes when I drive through downtown, I'm, I miss it, you know. But at the same time, I mean, you know, you have a family now, and you're thinking, there's no way I could raise my kids, yeah, next you know. to a crackhead. No,
1: of course <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Downtown, and it's weird because we grew up in chaos.
1: But not really. I noticed this about myself. I would not be able to live downtown. You wouldn't? Never in a million years. I would go back to never, downtown anytime. Never, I like being downtown, like if I'm in a different city, I'm in a hotel, like I'm doing a gig or something. Yeah. That's fine. Well, that's where you want to be. Because I'm a tourist. Yeah. But in my own city, why the hell would I want to be downtown? All there is downtown, like at night, it's just drunk people yelling, I, a lot of teenagers. I, you know, I want to slap everyone I see. I don't know, man. There, I, I, there's something I
0: like about the chaos and, you know, the people and the movement and- um, I don't know. Uh, no. I don't, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I enjoy the peace and quiet that I have over here, right? Uh, but there's just something about the city that I miss.
1: I, I like being in the city. I love being around Park X. I yeah. love it because you're so close to everything. Yeah, well, there's yeah, it's accessible a, to everything. It's accessible to everything, but it's still a little neighborhood. You could walk around, go to the store, get something. And it's changing a
0: lot, eh, Parkex? Yeah. Uh, in the next maybe maximum five, five years, it won't be the Parkex that we grew up in.
1: No, no, no. Already now it it's changing. Already, it's, it's already
0: changed. But it's going to it's gonna grow exponentially, I think, within the next five years. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I saw these trends because, you know, it's where I worked. But, uh, and it's going to change a lot. It's going to become, you know, in French, la vie de quartier. You know, it's like that yeah. social little life where you have everything around you. Too
1: many hipsters, though.
0: But that's just uh, you know demographics. You can't change that. No, you can't change that. And we saw that happening. Hey, eh? I mean, we saw Villare transforming. And if you take a walk into Villare, it's uh, it's it's like a new plateau. It is, yeah. And because the rents are going high, I mean, every it's spilling over into Park Extension. And you know, there's a university campus coming now, so it's gonna it's gonna grow and change
1: uh, so much. Um, I think for the better. I'm gonna go on record here. Yeah. And I want to say there's only one premier neighborhood. <laughs> in Montreal, no for real. Like if you had the choice and you could get a place that you like, there's one neighborhood that I think is the best neighborhood and that's TMR. The TMR, yeah. TMR is the best um area in Montreal, because number one. It's it's the suburbs,
0: it's the suburbs in the middle of the in city. In the middle of the city, yeah. it's
1: insane. Yeah. I I go to so many cities, they don't have that. Nobody has that. Nobody has that and it is a great place, right? But cuz of the prices, Not many people are going to be like, I'm going to go buy a $4 million home and it's not going to happen. Ridiculous. And the houses are old. I remember when we bought this place, um, I don't even know
0: why I was looking into TMR, but I think it was more out of curiosity.
1: Yeah. You just looked over the fence. <laughs> yeah. no,
0: but there was nothing under like a million bucks or like 800,000. And what you're getting for that price is like ridiculously
1: like ugly. Of course. Because oh. a lot of people haven't renovated and all the nice ones are not for sale. The people the And it's just and the
0: value because of where you are, right? Exactly. So, And
1: I have, I have friends in construction
0: and they're telling me there's so much going on there. People just buy, destroy, and rebuild. Yeah, I, I know people who have done that, yeah. Because, I mean, it's so much more worth it, you know? But that's what it is. I agree with you. Yeah, TMR is uh, by far the best place to. We knew this growing up in Park X. We're like. Yeah, that's why we would go there and steal everything from them. And we're like, what is that place behind that fence
1: Yeah. <laughs> covered we camouflage that nobody can see? We weren't stealing things from Kodanej. <laughs> we were stealing things from TMR. What? <laughs> We're still in good things. Oh my God, hockey nets and such. Because in the beginning, that's what they did. They used to leave all their stuff out because they're like, "This is a suburb, right? yeah." yeah. <laughs> Until we came along, <laughs> stop oh, being safe, really quick. Hockey nets. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> they're just giving out free nets <laughs> <laughs> on a bike. Yeah, exactly. You're biking, <laughs> carrying the net. <laughs> that's what it was. That's what it, And then they got so fed up. They started. <laughs> they're like, "No, no, we gotta lock these kids
0: out." Yeah, up. let's. Uh, Halloween. No, no, put a lock on that. Yeah, put a lock on that. Um, but uh, it is what it is. But no, Parkek is gonna change a lot, I think. Uh, but you still live there.
1: Yeah, well, not for long. It depends where I end up now in the next couple of weeks. So by the time this comes out, I might not be there anymore. But I want to be nearby. That's my thing, is I want to be, you, you know how I feel about this. Yeah. I want to be close to the city because I, I have so much, I have the podcast studio yeah. is in the city. I, everything's in the city. Um, but I'm not okay with uh, like a long drive. So I can't be like, let's say, St. Leonard. They have some nice place I've seen. Yeah. It's too far.
0: But here's the thing though, uh, and here's how I feel. If you don't have a regular nine to five job, yeah. okay, like you, for example, you, you know, you work on your own schedule, you work for yourself, you don't really care where you are.
1: I have thought about it like this, right? But then I realize that's a selfish way to think because it's not just me. Let's say my girlfriend, for example, yeah, she does do a nine to five, right? She's in accounting. Yeah. So I feel bad putting, you know what I mean? Imposing my yeah, and I understand. way of ridiculous living on yeah. her. Um, and also if I'm too, I don't know, I, I want to be, I want to be nearby. I want to be able to, anytime you call me cause you've decided to, you know, traverse the, the river and come <laughs> and come to the city to be like, Hey, let's go grab a coffee. I want to be able to get there in five minutes. Yeah. I don't like this whole, I'll be there in 45. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. I, cause that's how I grew up. I grew up with everything kind of instant, even downtown, 15 minute bus ride. Oh, for if sure. I didn't have a car. Yeah. Yeah. It's not far. Yeah. So I, I haven't lived so far away. So, to me, it's kind of alien. It's an alien idea. Even the states, they have this a lot. I go to different cities where my <laughs> hotel will be in one place, and then let's see the comedy club or something will be somewhere else. yeah, and I have like a twenty minute how what is how do people live like this? like this is this looks like a town, but not really. This is a fake town. Mm-hmm. The real town starts in a half hour, yeah, and it's strange. I don't like that I felt that when i when I went to Toronto the first time. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. where you're driving in
0: Toronto, and you're like, "Wow, man, downtown Toronto, this is amazing. And then half an hour later you're in down like, this is the downtown. yeah, you're like, what what was that back there? It's so developed and uh, people say, "Oh yeah, I live in Toronto, but you know you're not living in Toronto. No, Toronto's huge. It's huge.
1: yeah, I, was I, I love it. I love Toronto. I didn't like it. you don't. i I felt a lot of sadness that where I was downtown yeah. I, I was near um I was near the Air Canada Center and those places, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of poverty, a lot of homeless people.
0: But it's a big city, so it's kind of to be expected, right? Yeah. But as a city, I love it. I love. It's like a mini New York.
1: You think I'm I'm trying to to think what my problem was with it? I don't know. I mean, it had everything around that I. Oh, the traffic I didn't like. There was way too much traffic. But again, it's a big city,
0: right? So you know, I mean, you can't go to New York and say, "What the hell is this traffic? What's going on over here?" But
1: New York also has a very developed subway system. It they do, yeah. Yeah. Toronto does. I I have. I mean, not like New York, but then again, New York also. I think you can get AIDS from the subway. like, that's... You know what New York has that people don't talk about? There's a lot of people, but there's also a lot of ugly people. <laughs> like, what I noticed when I was in New York is... Because I have to go down there a lot and there's a lot of unattractive people. Like, there, there are millions of people. This is true. There's many of them, but most of them are goblins. Like, <laughs> in Montreal, we're less, but people are, I think statistically, on average, more good-looking than any other city in North America. I will tell you one thing Montreal has that I haven't seen. And of
0: course, you know, I haven't traveled much. I mean, but I've been to big cities. The... Um, the liveliness in the city, mm. you don't see it anywhere or in very few cities. And just to bring back Toronto, we had gone a couple of years ago with my wife and it was a Saturday night and it was dead, man. 1.30 in the morning, it was dead. Yeah. And we were like on Yonge Street. I mean, you know, where everything's happening. Because you know, they close at 2. I don't understand. A city like that just dead on a Saturday night. And in Montreal, you can walk around on Tuesday, Wednesday night, Thursday night. There's always life in this city, yeah. always.
1: Always. But you know, I don't know, maybe it's because of the cold. Here. It's a bit weirder here in the winter just because of where we are. Yeah. And people are always looking for an outlet. I think it's also the European vibe. There is. Yeah, definitely. Massive, So People just want to live a bit, just have fun. They don't take themselves too seriously. <laughs> you know, prostitution, everybody turns their their heads. They're like, oh, it's not really there. <laughs> it's, so, it, it's cleaned up though, Montreal, a lot. From when I was growing up, it has cleaned up. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: Especially with the development of Griffintown. I remember coming. That was a garbage neighborhood. Well, look, we we would go out and we wouldn't go south of uh, René Lévesque.
1: No, of course not. Why? You want to get killed? Yeah. It was too dark. But now, I mean, it's a whole other area there. Well, too dark. That's a bit, I mean, you know. It was a black community, but you know, you don't have to put it like that. Like there was lights in the streets, dude. Yeah. it was Little Burgundy. Yeah. Um,
0: Okay. Let's talk about 2018. Yes. It's Uh, a good year. Huge year. Tell me why this year was big for you.
1: It was big. I got to be just for last for the first time. Um, so I started the year. I got that new podcast with Mike Ward, Two Drink Minimum, which was doing really well. Mm-hmm. So I think the year kicked off in a bang with that when uh, Mike asked me if I wanted to join him in that venture. And it was just a total shock. Uh, How did that happen? Uh, I met him. I was doing a show and I had uh, he came to do a spot. And I didn't know I had seen him from time to time. You know, I knew of him, obviously. I was like, "Hi, bye." But we weren't friends. Like people assumed that we knew each other. Mm-hmm. We we didn't know each other well. Um, he, he told me that he had heard of me before, but he hadn't seen me do stand up or heard me talk. So he came in, and he had just been given an offer to do the show for Compound Media. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he came in that like a day after he got that offer. He heard me talking backstage. Then he we, we had a conversation. He um, saw me after I you know I did my set um we said our goodbyes like we were there for like an hour talking with all the comics i didn't think much of it mm-hmm. and then the next day i got a private message on twitter from him okay. and he's like hey look i got this offer no nah, no nah, nah, this podcast you know anthony kumia opian anthony from those days do you know them of course i did i uh, i loved those guys i liked howard stern i like all that stuff um would you be interested in being my co-host so i thought he was messing with me i thought he was just playing games yeah. so i was like don't don't fucking play because it
0: comes man. out of nowhere right yeah i
1: was yeah. like don't play games the mike ward He's like, no, no, I'm not playing games with you. I, I really think that you'd be the right fit for this, I think. And then I, I questioned him because I was like, don't you have other big-name comedian friends you could do this with? Yeah. And he's like, no, no, it's going to get boring. And if I bring in guests, there's not that many guests in Montreal. Was, if this is going to work, you know, I want to do it with you. I think it'll work with you. So I was like, fuck, why would he lie to me? Yeah. You know, unless he's trying to have sex with me. Who knows? <laughs> so I went uh, I went on board. I said, all right, I'm in. So we looked over the contract. I went, I went to his, he has a comedy club, mm-hmm. The Bordel. Uh, we talked about it. We flew down New York so they could announce it on the network. We went on the Anthony kumia show. Everything kind of was happening fast. Like I can't believe this is real life. This is actually happening. Then he was lucky too because because he told me he was happy that I already had a podcast studio. It's because we were thinking of how we should do it, where we should build yeah, all that. But yeah. I already had it. I had exactly. I was already set up because I was doing it for years, right? So that's where the the whole the you know the age old saying of build it and they'll come. Yeah. That's kind of where it came into play for me because I was like, oh shit, I already have a studio, dude. Yeah. So he's like, oh, this is perfect. And then we made a little. I've made a couple of upgrades to the studio since then. Um, so then after we announced it, it became kind of a big deal here because it was the first Canadian show on that network, right? Yeah. Um, and then just for laughs, uh wanted to have us do the show there uh in the summer so we did it there we brought guests we brought Robert Kelly and Nick Swardson mm-hmm. who we met just a few days prior and we brought him on we met him at the so festival so this is
0: summertime 2018 this just is, for laughs huge yeah, huge so, deal
1: so now we're summertime and and I got away with something pretty funny because I got to do the podcast get my first just for laughs credit but also I got to perform at plaza because Mike was doing his show in English yeah and uh, he didn't want anybody else opening he's like you just do it it's just <laughs> yeah. so it was good for me because I got to do the shows with him over there so I got so they to, had
0: no say Mike said, "Okay, look, uh, this guy's gonna open for me." And
1: oh, for that, yeah, they don't care because it was I was already part of the festival. I was already doing the oh the, the, the podcast. I was already doing the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a, an issue. Okay, you know, uh, and they were like you hear a lot of stuff about just for last, but they were super professional, super nice. I haven't dealt apart from like uh, certain comedy clubs that are really good, like the comedy nest, Yeah, I haven't dealt with that level of professionalism, like from beginning to end, <laughs> the way they ra- ran that. Yeah. Was X? I remember even the last day. This is the one thing that sticks with me. They they know your whole schedule. They know where you're performing, what club, all that. So the the last show that I had done there was the opening for Mike on the last um, on the last uh, performance that he had, the English one. And as soon as I got off stage, right before Mike goes on, as soon as I got off stage, there was a lady back with with your check for the festival. Yeah. So she was right there already. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like she came out. She's like, "Oh, this is your last performance Here you go. Sign here. Take it." Like they had everything structured. Yeah, so yeah. Per- they knew where you were, what time you had to be there, Same thing with guests when you needed a guest to go pick him up. Or it was very, very professional. Well, there's a reason why it's one of the biggest comedy festivals. Yeah, yeah. They ran it. No, but I've been. We've we've had an issue recently with another comedy festival that just it it, it went it went to hell. They didn't know, and it was much smaller, and they couldn't manage it. But these guys, man, like Bruce Hills, they they know what what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They I think they have it down to a science now.
0: But what do you what do you think? And you know we're gonna get back to the to the rest of the year. Now, but but now that you bring it up, because I want to talk to you a little bit later on. But you know, the comedy scene in Montreal, of, of yeah. course, everybody knows the Just for Last Festival. Yeah. Uh, it's huge. Uh, you know, there's a, there's bits on TV too there. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the comedy scene in Montreal? I mean, compared to the other cities that you've been to, obviously you've been to New York, LA, where you know it's just. I would imagine huge compared to what it is over here. Yet you're telling me that everything just runs clockwork. Yeah, Well, uh, that's here. for,
1: but that's just for the festival, yeah. not for the scene. The scene is very different. Like I, I, I mean, LA, I'm jealous of the culture in LA, the comedy culture. By that, I mean, you'll go to the comedy store and there's just fans of comedy talking to you, just being around. They they know stuff about comedians that they're so random, like these facts, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the shows are constant. So, they do like this gauntlet where you go up, you bring on the next guy, you bring on the next guy. And there's always a revolving door. So in like the original room, people walk in. It'll be full. It'll be like, no, wait in the front. And then as soon as someone leaves, oh, that seat's open now. You come in because the show's run for hours. Mm-hmm. It's not like a one and a half hour performance like here. There, They're, they're hourly. You know, they start at, let's say, 7, 8, 10, wherever they start. And they keep going on until the club closes. Mm-hmm. So there's always comics. They're doing their spots. Yeah, wow. And you could just jump in at a certain time. So you could come in around 930 and be like, I have an hour. I want to grab some drinks and enjoy the show. There's a seat. You sit there. You enjoy your portion of it. You leave someone else. It, it's a different yeah. uh, comedy culture they have there where we don't have that at all here. It's not the same It's thing. like
0: going for a coffee but watching a show versus here where it's more of a,
1: like yeah, a performance. He, he, here it's like you know what you're getting. You go for an hour and a half. It's normally between an hour and an hour and a half performance. That's yeah. the best time for, for a comedy. And you go for the whole show. And that's Whereas there it was so alien to me the first time I, I saw people coming in and leaving and then other people just waiting. And normally you're you're nervous like oh I'm gonna miss the show, but then it's like they know they're like no no I might miss these three guys, but I want to see Bobby Lee he's yeah, on in forty minutes, yeah. so I'll be there in time for him. Yeah, yeah things yeah. like that. Yeah, and that's that's that that culture I'm jealous of. I wish we had that here. That's interesting. But why doesn't it exist here? Smaller city. That's LA. The everyone's there. Mm-hmm. Smaller city, smaller names. Yeah. Like, how many big names in English live here and can run that every day and yeah. be? It doesn't, it can't happen. It's not that like we have a very good club, the comedy Nest, mm-hmm. which is now open seven days, seven nights a week. They're open. Yeah. They have show, but even they can't run a five hour show like, and keep the quality up. Cause we, it just doesn't exist here. We don't have th- that many comics. You could put every comedian on the scene here and it won't fill up that kind of time. But slot.
0: what about, what about an effort to, to bring in, Uh, like the the same way that you go to LA and obviously it makes sense you want to go there rather than having anyone come here but is there any effort to bring in you know foreign comedians comedians well
1: they they do like I bring up the commonest because they're uh, I think one of the best clubs in 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 North America and they bring it like every weekend it's a different headliner and they're always international so David's very like David Acker owns that club and he's very good about um, bringing in top talent so you have to have Proper credits, late night credits. So, he brings people that are on Conan, Last Comic Standing. Wow. So, every weekend, the Montreal guys, the the ones that he has working the weekend uh, rotation, the professional ones, they're lucky. They get to work with these international comics. Mm-hmm. and they learn from them, yeah. you know. Um, so, you always see, in, if you go to the Comedy Nest any weekend from Thursday to Saturday night, five shows, you're going to see a different comedian from uh, that you've seen on TV. Yeah. So, he does That's good. But there's nothing here that'll keep someone for longer. Like, when we go to LA, when I go, there's other reasons for it, too. So I went to LA and went to also do podcasts, you know, um, or writing or meetings, uh, agents. So there's another reason to go there. And then you just jump on, you call if, if you know people at the comedy store, you know, uh, we were lucky, like Adam Ighe was nice to us and we, we knew him. He was bookies, um, Norm MacDonald's friend and he, he, he was the one booking. Yeah. So, you know, we got spots, but, uh, in general, there's no reason for someone to come. What kind of opportunity exists in Montreal for someone to come down here? Yeah. And then jump on stage at the comedy nest. It doesn't, it's not in New York. Same thing. You go down there, you do serious, you do other stuff and you jump on as a surprise guest. At one of the comedy clubs and it's fun.
0: It, it's too bad in, in a sense, you know, because I'm sure there's many aspiring comedians like yourself and you know, the opportunities are just not there. Right. Or if they are, I mean, they can't really exploit it to the maximum.
1: We get overlooked here. Even, just for laughs is also guilty of that too. Just for laughs is guilty of overlooking Montreal comics. That's really a hundred percent. I've seen it in, in my time here where uh, they'll do the showcases they'll do the uh, and i'm not saying that we have so much talent everybody should get in even if we only have one even if there's one amazing comic that should be at just for laughs it's rare that they'll get that spot whereas toronto they'll get a lot more chance they'll get a lot more mediocre people on just yeah. for laughs and here even like our best or our second best won't get on it'll be very difficult so i think it's because of the proximity i think because it's here it's always like you don't see that as special. Yeah. Like, oh, he's here. He's this guy. You know, yeah. you get used to him. So I think there's kind of that that's happening because there's really no other reason. We do have some some really good comics, um, but it, everybody knows that Montreal gets overlooked. Uh, even comedians from the States know it. Like I've spoken to a lot of comics. They'll be like, you know, they'll come watch a friend of mine and be like, how come this guy's not a just for laughs? Like my buddy X person, I don't want to name yeah. a lot of names, got it two years ago, you know, from LA and he's shit compared to that guy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, well they see it differently. They, they see it completely differently. They, they don't look at us in the same light.
0: Well, So, so 2008, um, uh, just for laughs, um, Mike Ward, obviously the two big things. Um,
1: yeah. So, oh, the the year t- uh, twenty eighteen. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we we got just for laughs. That was huge. Then we and the whole that whole week at Just for Laughs was something that should have been videotaped. <laughs> it was just me and Mike bullying everyone, um, <laughs> into getting <laughs> things done. It was hilarious. Like Mike was fighting at the same time with uh, Gad Elmaleh and some other yeah I heard about joke that, thieves. Yeah. Mm-hmm and uh fighting with netflix at the time because because he's like why did you let this guy get his guy on you know a netflix special You're giving him 15 million dollars based a joke thief then that guy lost the netflix deal because they got scared and, <laughs> like all this stuff happened over the the course of that festival which was just ridiculous um so that that was just amazing and i thought that was it i thought that was the the peak of the year yeah i was like oh i ended perfectly because my year i always calculate like that my year ends in july my year ends when just for laughs ends oh, okay. and then i think of the new year like okay. what i'm going to do to to succeed, right? Yeah. So I thought, okay, that's the pinnacle. 2018, it ends on a on a high and uh, it didn't. It just kept fucking snowballing. I remember, you know,
0: sitting with you, I don't know, it was probably before Christmas around November and you were explaining to me a few things coming in 2018 <laughs> and I just couldn't wait for these things to happen yeah. and, you know, I didn't want to tell people. I think I told my wife and I'm like, <laughs> don't tell your mom alright <laughs> <laughs> just in case Yeah. know uh, but yeah Rogan uh, oh yeah Rogan yeah so yeah. Rogan even
1: Rogan was another crazy thing because in, in November I mean when that happened before that it, so August was pretty calm I wrote a lot I sat back a bit I took uh, three days off which is three, wow, which a is, whole three which days which crazy for me because yeah. I'm always <laughs> doing something and I thought about a lot of stuff and then in September we went back down to New York to do uh, Anthony Kumir show but then we also did Sirius XM we did uh, one of my radio heroes, Ron Bennington. I got to be on Ron Bennington's show, which was huge for me. Um, we did Jim and Sam, which is I think one of the biggest serious XM shows at the time. So they we're like, oh fuck, we're getting things done. We're we're going on bigger and bigger shows. Then the podcast was doing better and better, uh, and then November came along, and early November, I uh, <laughs> I bullied my way into getting on Joe Rogan. At the you end, you told of the me month. the
0: story. Do you want to? Can you share the story?
1: Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll I won't share too many details. I don't want to, uh, you know. Uh, attack people or embarrass you I had, but it's just long story short me and Mike were already booked we were going to LA at the end of that month at the end of November and we had podcasts podcast lined up we had spots at the commerce. so we, we had a reason to be down there Yeah. but then I noticed that the UFC was in in New York and Joe Rogan was on the network he was doing the Anthony Kumir show yeah. um, so I messaged one of the producers and I was like hey dude are you there with Rogan right now I just saw that tweet he was like yeah of course he's here he's doing the show so I just thought about it. I go, hey, you know, we're at the, um, uh, in LA, we're in his neighborhood in a couple of weeks. Uh, see if we can get on. So at first, like, oh, no. I don't. So then I started like yelling at him. I go, don't fuck around. You know, I said, I was being really, really rude. You don't normally do that to a boss, right? Like you don't risk your, <laughs> your job. But I thought, hey, it's it's the Hail Mary pass, right? So I put in the point where he's like, no, no, I'm not scared of anything. I'll do it, you know? So then he he talked to, to Joe and said, hey, you know, Mike and Penthouse have a show uh, here. They'd like to come on, promote it, talk a bit. So I guess... He took a look or whatever. He's like, "Yeah, for sure, bring him on." And uh, we set up a date, which then we had to change because of uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. So we went on a day after him, and we were already in the neighborhood, so we didn't mind. And that's it. Then we went there. We didn't really tell a lot of people. You knew. Uh, I, I kept it down low because uh, not because of secrecy. Nobody told us to keep it secret. We kept it because we didn't want to jinx it. Yeah. It's the biggest show. Yeah. Um. It's the for comedians. It's the biggest credit right now. Mm-hmm. It's uh. It's not late night. There's nothing in late yeah. night that compares to this. So it's him. So we just didn't want to jinx it. We didn't want to score ourselves over. So then when I did it, this was the weird thing, is the messages when I was done, I kind of didn't realize the impact. I didn't realize how many people were watching and how many people were uh, shocked because nobody knew. Yeah. So people were sitting down and watch Joe Rogan, people that knew me, and then they just saw my face and like, wait, what? what is happening right now? What is this? What's going on? Is this a joke? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got a lot of messages, a lot of opportunities from that. Uh, and again, it just snowballed again. One thing led to another and just bam, 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 everything, uh, it doesn't stop.
0: How much impact do you think is, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these things are happening after you started working with Mike. And obviously, I mean, he's, he's, um, he's, he's a popular comic. uh, Well,
1: for me, he was the catalyst. He was the huge, uh, like, there's no way I could ever, there's no way I could ever thank him enough or pay him back for just, just the opportunities he's given me. There's no way I can't do that. It's not. Cause you can't measure it. Yeah. It's, um, and it's stuff that he'll, if you ask him, he'll tell you like, ah, oh, it's just, uh, you know, he's, he, you know, his talent got him through. He did it. It's not, but it's, it's him. It's him. Cause he gave me the opportunity. Nobody yeah. else. I couldn't get these shots without him. Mm-hmm. So whether he wants to admit it or not, you know, yeah. he's the one who, he gave me the pass. You know, it was it was I had to put it in, but he gave me the fuck. And pass. if you
0: think of it, it just happened out of the blue. It's not as if you were working. You're like, it's not like you pinpoint him Like, okay, Mike Ward, he I got to get close. I got to get into his entourage. It I didn't just know happened. him.
1: He didn't owe me anything. Yeah, he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. That's why I'm saying it, it's those thankless things. He didn't owe me anything. He yeah. didn't have to do any of this. Yeah. he could have got a, another comic, a more known comic, to do the show with, and then whatever. But he didn't want to. He's like, no, I, I like this guy. And then that's how we. He's, he's one of my closest friends now. He uh, he understood before me because he's been doing this for years just hearing me talk he's like oh this is one my kind of guy right whereas me it took me a while and then i realized like oh fuck, yeah this guy's my kind of guy like i realized after <laughs> yeah. when we started hanging out i was like just i could have grown up with him <laughs> yeah. like because i'm closer with him now than a lot of people i grew up with yeah because we see the world the same way yeah. you know we can make each other laugh and there's never any uh ill will or we yeah. think oh i offended him it's impossible to offend each other when we're when we're talking shit about each other but it's
0: also funny that you're in the field that you're in and having the fun that you're having and just not caring And that's actually what's getting you paid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You think that. But it's weird, not just not caring, because I put in, you know this better than everyone, I put in a lot of work behind the scenes. Like there's work for the podcast, there's work for everything. I put in a lot, a lot of work. And the reason why the podcast looks like, oh, they're just screaming around, they're having fun, is because we're happy. And yeah. I'm very happy because of all the work that went into it. Like, I, it's not... If we would go in unprepared and if we'd go in not liking it, you'd feel it. Yeah. But because we like each other, we're having so much fun. It comes out natural, at It least. comes out natural. Yeah. So they're like, oh, these guys are having fun. I want to enjoy this. Yeah. If we were like a radio duo where they just put two random people, this guy's wacky and she's sassy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> listen to them at four in the morning, you know? <laughs> then it would be garbage. Yeah. Like, what did you do, Samantha? You know, was, I hate like terrestrial radio. What has it become? It's yeah. so formulaic and it's just them telling you the time nine times in an hour yeah you know yeah
0: so so rogan happens uh, <clears throat> um and you had also told me about stephen crowder
1: yeah so you i forgot when i told you about stephen crowder but stephen crowder i knew from i didn't know that i was going to start writing for him but uh, we had done just a little thing like mike appeared on a show and i appeared via skype mm-hmm. uh, just for a little segment it was it was just something brief And then a question came again, I think in the beginning of the year, of this year, 2019. Um, They were looking for a writer. Um, I think Owen Benjamin was on there and uh, he wanted to leave or something had happened. And they were looking for a comedy writer, a stand-up. And Mike again stepped in and said, oh, this is your guy. It's Panta. Like, you're not going to find any, like, this is the guy you need for this. So they were kind of like, "Mm, I don't know, let's check. And uh, so I started writing for him. I started writing jokes. Uh, Then they flew me down there recently. And then they're the ones who told me like, last time I was there, like how right Mike was. They're mm. so like, you know, it's it's rare to have someone that, because I'm very quick. Like you, you, if you feed me something, I, I'll i build something out for you, you know? So they'll be like, we need this and then I'll be able to write a sketch for it, you yeah. know? Uh, we need, and I'm very, and plus I, I don't really, I don't really care so much what political spectrum you're on, yeah. right? Uh, If I can make fun of you, I will. Yeah. It's just how I like, this is how we grew up. We grew up just busting each other's balls. So I do it to everyone. But I did notice that being um part of that crew that I'm definitely politically more conservative than anything else yeah like if if you have to narrow me down, if I would have to choose, I think I'm more because I learned that there's three pillars apparently to conservatism because I, I consider myself a libertarian okay but apparently the three pillars are um <laughs> uh freedom of speech, mm-hmm. which I don't back down on that. I believe everyone yeah. should have that for sure. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, lower, uh, smaller government, you know, taxation is fucking yeah. theft. Uh, so definitely I'm for lower taxation. And I think the third one is, um, uh, pro-life is abortion. Yeah. So my whole life I was pro-choice. Yeah. I didn't really care, about. It, I didn't know. Yeah. And then now the more I would study, the more I would learn, I'd be like, I think I'm leaning more towards these guys.
0: It's also, it, it, it's also the people that, you know, you hang out with and the way they, they, they rub off on, uh, rub off, rub off on you. Uh, but
1: most of the people I hang out with are really, really, uh, like left, they're, they're left-leaning. Yeah, but they're, then
0: again, I mean, very few people are actually informed, at least. That's yeah, that, what I, that's
1: what I've learned, yeah. Know,
0: that, that's what I got out of this whole, you know, political experience, that there's very few people that follow what's going on. And f- from the people that actually do follow they don't really understand the information that is being sent to them, Thank whether you. it's the media not um, uh, providing the right, uh, you know, and I, I'm not here to bash the media. I think they're no, doing No, but they do job. play a huge part. They do play a big part. And the media, I think, you know, them, uh, uh, they also, I mean, lean to the left, right, center, whatever. So depending on, you know, what media you're listening to, the information comes out very differently. Yeah. So from the people that are actually uh, interested in following what's going on, the information that comes to them is just so diverse that, you know, they don't know
1: how to interpret it. Yeah. They don't know how to take
0: it. And nobody, nobody, you know, makes the extra effort to actually. Research or look into what is being said, either right. So yeah. you're just listening to the six o'clock news. You know, you know that by seven o'clock, you've absorbed whatever amount of information, and that's it. You know what I mean? And that's the bit of information that that they have.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So I mean, that's one thing that I understood. And uh, but again, I mean, it depends on the people that are around you as well. In you know the the information that they uh, consume and the way that they share it as well.
1: Right? Yeah, I, I have. A- I don't know if it's a unique point of view. I think everybody has their own. I think everybody's point of view is probably going to be unique on the political spectrum, but I know that for myself, it's every time I analyze something, that's when I realize that, okay, I either misunderstood something or, Oh, I really see things this way. Like I know with, um, this past year, uh, just getting into arguments with people over politics, Mm -hmm. over things that I want. That's when I realized like, no, maybe I'm not voting the right way. Cause like, for example, I voted for Trudeau. Yeah. And, uh, not, and you know, not, not, not because he likes to play dress up or all that, <laughs> it's not good for him, uh, but just politically and the things he's doing economically, I realized that I don't agree with that. You know, at, at the very, so for example, uh, just the way we're taxed, right? I was like, you know, no, I, I don't feel like this current system of taxation is is done properly. I feel like you're punishing people for succeeding. Yeah. Um, you, you don't want to incentivize people to do better. Yeah. Uh, and you're making it hard for people to live. So like this whole, I grew up with the myth of, I always thought like a minimum wage should be higher, right? Give people more spending money. And then I realized that that was a game that politicians would play. I only realized that this year, because of course they want to tell people that they'll force companies to pay you more because they're just going to tax you more. Mm. So at the end of the day, that more money isn't really coming back to your pocket. They're going to make a little <laughs> more. You're going to end up with the same, if not less, depending on what bracket you exactly. fall under, right? Mm-hmm. So the real goal would have been to lower taxation to make government more efficient. You don't need nine people doing the same job, mm. right? Make government more efficient, smaller, lower taxation. You have more money to spend on things. You can feed your family. And and um, by them paying you less or not paying you more, the the company would prosper more, everybody would prosper more if taxation doesn't take that much of a cut. Mm-hmm. or cause I don't mean so we don't use it for social programs, but you use it more responsibly. Yeah. We don't just throw money into the wind. And the only when when i when I started realizing that that's how I feel we should be more responsible with our money, we should that that didn't fit into the Liberal Party, for example. did even though my whole life that's where I've been. I'm like, oh, that doesn't fit in at all mm-hmm. with what I believe.
0: yeah, you know, well, look, again, it comes it comes down to how informed uh, you are and what really matters to people um in politics yeah i know for a fact that nobody ever reads uh election platforms you're nobody right. nobody reads platforms you're right so there's a trend that happens and you're either uh you either hop on or you're not on you know what i mean uh and if there's one thing that you know justin has succeeded is uh first of all he's a very charismatic person right cult of personality yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the the guy, if there's one thing you you got to give him credit. First of all, he revamped that whole party, where people had completely lost trust because of previous things that had happened, uh, and it just. It, I don't want to call it a cult, but the support that this guy uh, created across Canada is just phenomenal, right? And
1: charismatic, good-looking dude. He and and you know what? Look, it felt play, fresh, but it plays a huge role in politics. Yeah, perception is reality.
0: So you're like, wow, this guy's popular because uh, people follow trends, right? Yeah. They're not going to sit and read a 300-page uh, uh, platform and analyze it and question it. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. Yeah, you know, And that's what probably happened to you. <laughs> it, it happened
1: to me big time. It happened to me. I fell for it. And then now, but the thing is, there isn't really anyone that uh, that falls 100%. That's the other thing I, I try to tell people to stay away from when it comes to politics. Do not fall in line as if it's an actual cult and whatever your party leader says or does you have to agree with. No, you're a human being. You're going to differ on things. I don't agree 100% with things that I think full-time you know, or things that I thought a year ago. Yeah. So how can it be possible for me to agree 100% with whatever you decide today? And
0: and that's the other thing too. There's no way that you can please 100%.
1: You can't. You can't. Just try to do your best. So I, I do think that the way we're going about things, he's more of, a, and the whole party right now, the way it's built, is structured more around the facade let's look like we're the best option let's look like we care about people we're very inclusive this and that but we're not really helping canada that's there is the facade well look but then don't, you don't have anyone else because i look at the conservatives yeah the facade is a piece of plywood like that guy sheer has zero charisma yeah um they'll say some good things but then they'll say things and you're like what, what are 1924 what are you talking about it's just or same thing with when you go ndp or really extreme left they'll make promises that, you know, they can't keep. Yeah. They're impossible. Like everybody's yeah. just going to get money. But then again, sometimes that works. Yeah. Cause people and, don't think. No. And if you
0: look at what happened in the last Quebec elections, where the, the equivalent to the NDP, which is, you know, a radical left party, yeah. they just promised the world and people just, you know, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. That, that sounds good. Yeah. People don't understand. They don't, you know, they don't take the time to actually study what is
1: being proposed. And
0: look, it's politics, and that's what it is. Yeah, it's uh, games
1: that we... I think uh, part of the problem is that we don't... And you know, you went through the same school system I did. We don't properly educate kids here when they're in high school about life. Like, the the one thing they should teach kids here, because it, it's a, it's a complicated system we have, Um, is should be about taxes, how they get taxed, how they fucking file the taxes. Uh, politics. What each um platform means, what it stands for. Because it's if you just think that whatever they tell you is going to be done. So you think the government has endless money. They promise you get a paycheck no matter what you do. Of course you're going to vote for that. You're like, that's crazy. I don't have to do anything. That's not reality. Reality, I don't want to get, I don't want to be paid for not contributing. I want to contribute. I just want to make sure that when I contribute, I don't get screwed over for it. So if I'm the one contributing, I've never worked in government. You know this. Mm -hmm. I never worked it. My whole life, it's me. I've been working, whether it was odd jobs, uh, career, Mm -hmm. I work. How does it make sense for all of my efforts? Half of them, to be taken away by the government. Yeah. And then they decide that with that half, they're going to screw up 50% of that 50%, <laughs> right? And that's why there's still things that aren't working. And then I have to pay for it in the end again. Yeah.
0: It's crazy. See, look, the the the, the counter argument is that in terms of social programs, I think Canada is probably located in the top we countries.
1: Are. You we know? are. We're very... Uh, we're. And, you know, I mean... But it's not saying much because we the world is small to us when we look around. Uh, right? The world is small. Mm-hmm. We think, Oh, it's huge. Like we're, we're at the top, but who are we competing against? Yeah. We're only 35 million people. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot. No. Well, we don't have the same problems. The States faces. We haven't faced real, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's easy to to be like, I'm a provider. I have a castle when you have one person to provide for, for example, mm-hmm. but try that with 10 people. Yeah. Your method might not work. You yeah. know, we got to We got to think things through. No, I understand. So I don't feel like we're doing, and I'm not blaming anyone. I think I'm responsible. You're responsible. I think. As a country, we need to come together and be like, okay, this whole vote and hope for the best thing,
0: but see, might not the, be the look, best scenario. I, I just want to go back to the education thing that you said, and because I know that now a lot of schools are adopting some changes. For example, for uh, you know financial literacy, how do you how do you organize yourself financially? Yeah, you know the the whole, the whole That's thing. That's great, like said, yeah, and I think it's fantastic. But in terms yeah. of, you know, the, to to educate. Kids, like for example, on policy or on politics, you can't do that, first of all, um, in elementary or in no, high no. school. In
1: high school, I would think just something. Just let them know, hey, by the way, this is what this means. This you is know, what that means. I
0: think the interest level is very low. And That's then, true. <laughs> you know, it's, it's low for people that aren't in school. Imagine, yeah. you know, so you can't do that there. And then when you reach CIGIP, for example, in university you know, the the, the the kids or the students are mature enough to say, you know what, screw this shit. You know, it's not interesting to me. But you know what happens so, then? So you fall kind of in the gap where, okay, where do you kind of insert this?
1: I, I would think it should be the last year of high school. I'll tell you why. Because any the second you move up in academia, like I know in university, here, at least in Canada, there's, it's huge ideological pushes. Like,
0: oh, yeah. Oh it's yeah.
1: all super, super uh, regressive leftist ideology that's in schools. Well, like I the- remember I went through when I was in Concordia and and- and I was a little shocked. I was like, "Wait a second! What? The, why are they pushing like Marxist ideas? Like, what? What was this guy saying?" Look, uh, j- to be honest with you,
0: yes, academia tends to to drift a little bit to the left. But I had right wing teachers.
1: You're older than me too, though. Eh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're older than me too. You you were you you went to school and you you know back when because I remember even being in high school when I had left and right. You know, it was easier to see things. But when I got to university, I remember. Nearly 95% of the... Like, everybody. I don't remember um, somebody leaning towards the middle. Everyone was left and far left. A lot of them were really, really far left. And... And you get consumed in it, right? Because I got, I remember it, yeah. I was I was getting shocked. I, I was thinking like none of this stuff makes sense. Like the, the arguments weren't even making sense. Yeah, I was like, how is this a thing? This can't be. And then I realized these are forty year old people, fifty year old people who their entire lives never worked a real job. They were yeah. in academia. They were in school, Then they continued look, being I'll, teacher I'll, assistant. I'll, they continued to become teachers, uh, teachers or whatever. So a lot of these people, what they did. Uh, their whole school they were taking, their whole life they were taking, they were taking, they were taking births, they were taking, they didn't get used to contributing. So you can't tell somebody who's 50, now you have to contribute. That's why we have that problem here where there's a lot of 45-year-olds who their excuse is, hey man, I'm still a student. Because they don't have the the mentality of, no, at some point, you need to contribute something to society. But
0: look, I'll, I'll tell you what I've noticed and maybe this existed and I just was unaware of it because I really didn't care when I was studying. But, and I've seen it now, at least in the last 11 years, there's a lot of engagement from the students, you know. There's, yeah. there, you know, they're they're organized. There's student committees, uh, of course. You know, the politics are obviously there. There's student associations that are, you know, liberal, conservative, whatever. You know, they're involved in the school, and you have a lot of a lot of these students just engaged, right? They they organize different um, uh, seminars. Uh, you know, all these things, and there's a huge political engagement coming out of universities. Maybe it was the case back when I was there and I didn't know it, but at least now,
1: uh I see it all the time. I see it all the time too, but I see no substance. And the example I'll give you is that the second you go away from the left, you're automatically just called a Nazi. You're called the worst thing, which is funny because that's a, it's also... If you think about it, it's a, it's a socialist party, so it would have been a far left <laughs> yeah, party, but, left, yeah. but technically it falls into right, the way we're looking at things now. But there's no there's no actual dialogue. So if you tell someone, well, I think it's kind of a bad idea to, tax someone on 50 percent of their wages you know uh it's a little unreasonable then they'll be like oh so you you don't care about social programs you 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 think about eugenics that's what nazis do and it's absurd but that's that's what happens now that's the political landscape that's what it's turned into especially in schools they they try to shut down even as comics like a lot of comics don't want to do colleges anymore because people take things out of context yeah so they'll think a joke is real they'll take me saying something funny on stage as I hate a specific group. Like if I say something about Greeks and yeah. I'm Greek and I'll make yeah. a joke about Greeks, there's people who are not Greek who have come up to me. and mean like, you know, it's a little offensive to Greeks. I have the joke about smoking the, the breakfast and I'm like, what? I am the Greek. You're not, how can you come here and tell me that I might offend my people when my people are the ones laughing about it because they get the joke. That's what jokes are. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So these buffoons are also involved in the political discussion yeah. and the, all they're all they say is if you don't agree with me you're evil look i'll tell you one thing and probably because see how i turn this into a political discussion because i okay. got you this is it's fine we have to take advantage yeah. of this podcast look
0: uh, uh, for me it's it's a bit complicated because i wasn't involved as a student uh, as politically i was like for the last 11 years um so i it's very difficult for me to compare what it was when i was in school uh and what it is now yeah what i appreciate and you know forget about the discourse whether it's too left or too right or too center and you know I understand that in academia they, they they tend to drift a little bit to the left but at least there's a discussion
1: you understand and it's not really a discussion well look there's an interest you know what I mean and when you see agree kids, with what i say or your piece uh, of shit is not a discussion
0: look i've i've been in panels i've been invited to different um uh speaking engagements where i've actually noticed youngsters you know 16 17 18 20 whatever uh, and they're actually interested, w- regardless of what they're saying and if, whether I agree with it or not. They're there, man, and they're they're actually interested. They're following what's going on. Now, I, I would I would love to have a bigger portion of the population actually doing what they're doing get informed yeah, yeah. you know what i mean and forget about you know if their opinion matches mine it doesn't matter Yeah, it doesn't
1: matter that's not the point because the <laughs> the you need people that don't match and you because you're going to see things differently like i said i've been able to change the way i see things for government for pol- because of discussing people and ta- i mean oh that doesn't you're right that and, and i'm gonna tell you
0: one thing no. and you know this is obviously one-sided because you know that's the government that i worked for there's so many conventions that, you know, our party organized where most of the people, inter, you know, uh, interacting and exchanging and actually are youngsters.
1: Really? Yeah. And In the liberal party?
0: Well, uh, I don't want to generalize it, at least the ones that I've been to. Of course, you look at the room and there's a lot of old people and you're well, like, that, obviously. you know, the party meets to get younger. You know what I mean? But then, you know, you open up a topic of discussion and it's up for debate or whatever, you know, where they're debating and you have just a series of youngsters just taking the space and you know expressing their opinion no, this is good I think it's I think it's fantastic it's huge that's that's where we need and, to get I, to. and again I don't know if this existed when I was there because I didn't care about politics I, I studied mm-hmm. politics because it was interesting to me but I never for a second thought that I was going to be working or be involved yeah. in politics ever for me it just happened uh, so I don't know how that scene was uh, back in the day so I'm seeing this you know I've been seeing this for the last 11 years and I think it's encouraging now knowing how I uh, transferred my mindset when I was in university and w- where it is now, I think, you know, they're probably going to uh, live through that same thing. Right. So, I mean, you're looking, you're talking to an 18 year old kid who obviously doesn't have the life experience that you have or the knowledge or whatever. And yeah, he's just, you know, regurgitating whatever his professor was exactly, talking about. Yeah. And that's fine. At least he has an opinion or whatever hey, he, he thinks. It's, you know, it's he, not, yeah.
1: he has uh, he's repeating someone. Yeah, opinion. but that's
0: fine. But at least he's there. He's not going to be like, Bruh, I don't care. Eh, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, the a-
1: apathy might be worse. Exactly is what you're saying. Yeah. So,
0: and eventually with time, who knows? You know, he's gonna get a job. He's gonna work. He's gonna live through things. And things are gonna, like, look at look at you. I yeah. mean, you changed because yeah. you started working. You have your own business. You started. You're you're interested in taxation. You're like, what the hell's going on here with entrepreneurs? You know? Yeah. So you you you've you you know you've transferred a little bit uh, the way you think of these things. And
1: look, yeah, I, I'm I'm interested in that a lot, and I'm interested a lot in in um, revamping social programs because I feel like uh, I don't want social programs to go away. I don't like the idea of full, you know, no government. I don't like that. Mm. I think social programs need to exist because we need to help the people who cannot work, who cannot, you know what I mean? We need to have that. Just that, and you know this from working in government. I don't know what the reasons are. There are many. um, We're not really that efficient. There's a lot of wasteful, and it's normally from dumb decisions. But there's a lot of wasteful spending. Um, there's a lot of maybe we should revamp this. Like I remember when you were in politics, and that was the time when you guys wanted to change the um, the policy. What was it on 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 welfare or on not being able to work? work. Yeah, social welfare. Yeah, social yeah. welfare. and being able to prove a couple of times that you're at least looking for work. Yeah. And then that became an issue. It was, it was horrible. How do you, wh- what do you think? How can you force someone to get a job? That to me is yeah, crazy. That's yeah. like you're taking it because then there's people who really do need that money. Yeah. I need to give that money to people who need it. I can't give it to you who decided I'm 22. <laughs> And I'd rather have the government pay my rent. I yeah. I need to help the people that need it. Well, this
0: I think is it's always going to it's exist. It's an efficiency thing. I think it's always going to exist. The minute that there's a government in place that offers these social programs, um, you're always going to have the debate on who deserves it more than someone else, right? And because of politics, yeah, whoever comes up with a decision, whatever that decision may be, you're always going to have opposition. Uh,
1: you know- Mine isn't even for deserving. My, I believe everyone i I think it's more of attributing it to the ones that need it. I, yeah. I don't think it's like I don't think no absolutely, but but then,
0: but then yeah. how do you how do you uh, justify who needs it more than someone else? right, yeah, you know, I think everybody would agree with you that yeah, uh, we should have these programs because people that need it okay, cool, who needs it the people and who, that's where yeah, the, the people
1: who are willing to work but can't um sick uh you know for, for children I don't think there should be children in this country that go to school hungry. You know, things like that. I think yeah. th- things that we can all agree on, right? And there's a so, lot of this thing happening. Which I- then when I say this, you know what the crazy problem is about, and, and you've seen this in politics. Yeah. So when I say things like this, people who are more on the right get mad at me, okay? Yeah. Which I find insane, yeah. okay? So then I'll say other things and people on the left, that's why I'm saying it's very hard to close someone in politically when they start thinking about things. Because I none of these political parties match you yeah, because I believe we should have social programs I don't like the way we're doing it Yeah,
0: right. look this is what it is um, pol- what I said before that you can't um, you can't satisfy 100% of the people Yeah, and you're never going to get someone to agree with you 100% never yeah uh, or this you know I mean uh, oh never- I
1: could get them to disagree with me 100% trust me I'm look, good at that
0: there, there, there's a middle ground that you're going to find and this is what I loved about politics because even within your own uh, party, there's uh, debates. There's debates, yeah. right? And there's uh, opposing ideas, and uh, at the end of the day, you have to make, you know, you have to decide, and even there, I mean, you're not going to have everyone on your side, but you just have to jump on, on board and say, look, this is what we decided, and then let's go with it, right? Um, you know, the the results that it has uh, varies, but at the same time, you know, trying to find that perfect system, I think it's impossible.
1: Do you think we're in canada this yeah. is just for you since you know this you think government's gone a little too big like I, i'm a little i don't like the fact that you know stats canada was able <laughs> to go into a canadian bank account and see that information yeah. I, I i respect privacy mm-hmm. um i don't like the fact that the government because the government is supposed to be a branch that's working for the people yeah. the boss is supposed to be you mm-hmm. and the government is supposed to be kind of your employee mm-hmm. as, a, as a citizen and something changed in the last 50 60 years And it turned the other way. People are scared of the government. The government is in charge. And you're just here working and they'll take some of your wages. Which the shift happened. It's a little crazy to me. And the fact that the government could go out there and say things like when, you know, Stats Canada, when Trudeau wanted to give them the rights to look at people's bank accounts, see Mm -hmm. how much they make and all that. I think that should have been, people should have gone crazy for that. like, Whoa, wait a second. No, we don't give you that authority. We're going to decide what powers we want to give you. We do not. We need to respect a certain level of privacy and yeah. respect of people, right? So things like that. Do you feel like it's just that the government slowly, slowly is getting a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger? Because we might get to the point where our debates won't matter if we've worked ourselves into a corner where we don't have the same type of rights.
0: Yeah. Look, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think, so. think, I, think I, I think that the more information that they get. Uh, Logically, right? The, yeah. the the idea behind that is for them to um, to kind of come up with the best sort of policy uh, to give back to you know to to, to its people. Um, what you well look, what you're doing with this information, uh, and I understand that you know with the census and everything with uh, 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 with uh, Stats Canada, but I think at the same time people aren't dumb, right? I mean, you're electing at the end of the day, like you said, you're the one that has uh you're you're the one holding the power if you know if you're not happy with something, do something about it right uh and for me, I mean the last government that we had economically quebec hasn't seen uh better years, yeah of course, and so. yet they lost the last election yeah, you understand so for some reason, there's something that people thought you know what we don't like this and they stood up for it, and you know they made their voices heard so i I don't know how to really answer that question i i I'm on the camp that Let's just get the information so we can know what people want. Right. And that way we'll we'll know what to, to, but to like, offer.
1: But the, like the Stats Canada thing, if you remember, there was uproar. People did not want yeah. their personal information to be exposed that way. And yet they still did it. That's what I mean by the government getting bigger is when they get to the point where they do what they did, where people say no and they're like, nah, we're going to do it. <laughs> to me, it, it's crazy because- even kids growing up now, they see government a different way. Even adults. Adults think that, oh, the government, you should never, if we're scared of the government, there's a problem. Yeah. There's a problem. And that's what's happening. It's not just here. I don't, the I don't think the we're there. Thing.
0: I don't think we're there to the point where we're afraid of the government. Um, like I mean, I've seen things uh, happen in politics that have me convinced that, <laughs> you know, you're not in control of anything, buddy. You know, I mean, there's, you know, there's, you can never take anything for granted. I think that we're lucky enough to be living in a, in a country or in a province where literally the people still have. uh, In this
1: province, especially, I think people do have more control than, than in others. It's the same thing across Canada. people are kind of
0: uppity. It's the same thing across Canada. Uh, I just think that, you know, the, the, the the public service in Quebec is huge. There's a huge, but like, I mean, in terms of government spending. I don't like it. Yeah, you know, uh, and I agree with you there. I mean, there's ways to do things differently. And it's funny because, uh, you know, on the podcast, I'm going to have a friend of mine who, you know, Nectar, I don't know if you've met him, who works, uh, he has a consulting firm and uh, he basically uh, tries to get, you know, these companies to uh, redirect their strategy on how to grow. And he told me, like, the biggest problem is government. They're so behind on how they should be doing things that. You know, that could have a bad effect. I mean, like, you know, you, when you have companies just progressing uh, and that's their job, right? Their Their job is to just consult with them and tell them, okay, what you're doing wrong uh, and here's what you got to do, right? His idea is that the one, well, I don't want to say industry, but the one field that is really behind is government. Of course. You know, yeah. so there's a lot of work left to be done, I think. But, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. I'm sorry
1: to take you in this political route. It's just okay. because I have you and it's okay. you're, it's okay. you're my uh, you're my liaison to politics. Yeah. So I like. No, to but it's fine. I don't. I don't
0: mind. Uh, I don't mind. I, I like talking. I'm obviously, you know, I, I've been working. This is the backstage of politics. This is the backstage of politics. Yeah, but uh, other than that, I mean, look, considering what's going on everywhere else in the world, sometimes you look back and you're like, you know, thank God we're.
1: here. Oh, of course. That, that's the one thing I hope I get. And across. and it's and it's easy to complain to think, fuck
0: man, this place, man, fuck these, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm complaining half specifically. Of my, half of my
0: money gone. Yeah. How, you know. But then again, and you'll eventually notice this when you have kids, where you know you take them to daycare, and there's you know you're paying whatever six bucks a day. Good luck finding another province or another country that can offer that. You know, well, probably, it better be six bucks a
1: day if they're taking half your money, but because you're looking it, at it in a weird way, you're looking at it in a weird way because, like I said, if let's say for healthcare, for example, right? Yeah. So we have. Well, fa- it's not six. It's, it's
0: more, you, <laughs> more but like you know what eight I mean or whatever. Yeah.
1: Like if you're telling me right now that I'm going to take like I'm supposed to make fifty bucks an hour, but I'll keep twenty five and it'll cost me, I don't know, $20 for daycare, yeah. and I'm left with five. But if I was making 40 of, you, you, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If you weren't keeping that much, then the difference might be mi- minimal if I would pay for it myself, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not a question of we get all these things for cheap. None of it is free. Yeah, Unless you're not working, <laughs> then everything's free. <coughs> but if you're working, you're but that, paying but for But everything. that's
0: also the biggest misconception, I think, in Uh, you know, I don't want to forget about Canada because, you know, that everything's free. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing is free. Nothing is free. That's what I keep telling people. You know what I mean? So the challenge I think that government has is that when you know, for example, in Quebec, when you have a hundred billion dollar budget to make your year and out of that a hundred billion dollar budget, you have close to half of it going to the health system. Right. And then you know that year after year there's new technology, there's new equipment, there's all these things happening that you're going to, you know, you're going to have to keep, Updating these things and the costs are obviously going to start going up, and people don't understand that. People are like, "Yeah, free Medicare, let's do it." Yeah, but you know, can't someone you has my to idea. pay. The, yeah,
1: can't tell you my idea. You tell me if you think it's if it makes sense or it's yeah. stupid. Uh, I think that we need to open up a bit, and we've already done in Quebec. Open up the the window for privatized healthcare. Yeah, um, not fully because mm-hmm. you know we still have the system. It exists. Yeah, now we start to have that half and half, but it should get a little bit. And again, this is where I go back to the taxation thing. So I believe that. There should be a way where you could kind of work out the system where maybe if the taxation was a little bit less and I would spend that difference on paying for healthcare, let's mm-hmm. say insurance, yeah. right? My own personal insurance, yeah. take a strain off the public sector. When I need to, because I have insurance, I could go to the private sector. I'm already paying for insurance from that, the yeah. difference. And balance it out, because right now there's a huge strain, because most people don't. The health insurance is the government insurance. Yeah. So we have nobody's paying. It's rare that you'll find rare in the grand scheme of things in Quebec that you find people paying for private health care. No,
0: no, it exists. It exists. It's getting it's bigger there. and
1: bigger, but it doesn't. It's not, the private health care exists, but not people paying for their own insurance. It's much.
0: No, that doesn't. It's much rare. Yeah. yeah. No, but see, look, this is where the big debate is happening, especially here in Quebec, because first of all. Uh, you know healthcare is free you know, we have universal healthcare yeah. and then you have the private sector which arguably has relieved a lot of the stress from the public um, uh, system and the big debate is if there's money being invested in the private sector uh then the public sector is going to it's just going to crumble crumble to the f- to the point where uh in the sense that people might have to wait 8 hours for no, a headache not, not only that is that your good doctor he's going to th- wake up one one morning and say wait a minute why am i here and i'm not in that hospital, right. where I'll be paid much more. So, if that transition happens, then your poor citizen that can afford the private sector is going to go to the public uh, hospital, or. The, yeah. What kind of service is he going to get?
1: Right. Well, right now, you know that the service isn't great in the public sector. You know, like if we're being honest, it's not.
0: The uh, hospital, you mean? Yeah, it's
1: it's hit or miss.
0: Look, I, I've seen good things and I've seen bad yeah. things. You know what I mean? Uh, and I don't want to name the hospital. No, here, no, but yeah, it's, it's
1: not about slandering uh, a hospital. No, no, exactly. Because they are working with the budgets and the restraints that they have. Exactly. And it's not easy. But there are some
0: hospitals that are managing these funds spectacularly to the point where the you, you walk in the hospital and you're like, wow, you know? I, I,
1: I, in the West? In the West Island? No, not in the West <laughs> Island. Uh,
0: but it exists. So yeah. the argument from the government side is that, listen, if that particular hospital can do it, then what is the problem? Right? Well,
1: some hospitals don't have the same strain day to day that others do. Like if you go to, like the Jewish, I think, but the Jewish general, uh, I think does a-
0: That's the one that I was referring to. Yeah. For me, it's like the the top hospital. Yeah. It's the best. It does so, a great job, yeah. And they cover one of the biggest areas. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at some point- They're very efficient. Of course. But yeah. so how are they doing it and the other ones aren't? And they have uh, much bigger traffic- in in you know in that hospital then I don't know in the West Island but Thailand they also the have a
1: lot of it's not just government funding they have a lot of people the, that donate of course because they're, they're, if you're talking I've been to the private one on Rockland yeah and I've only been there once and I was sh- like the, the money was obviously was a, it was a lot of money mm-hmm. like it was 500 bucks just to go see somebody yeah. once but
0: the results are instant boom, right yeah. and
1: I've never seen anything like that in terms of hospitals <laughs> so I do think that you need to kind of incentivize that but like I said, I want to keep an open window because I you, I need people that can't afford it to get the same help. We we live in a country where we could do that. We it, have to it, do look.
0: That. It's a very difficult balance, Balancing, right? It, yeah. Um, and you know you're, you're the, that same debate happens between public and private schools, and why should yeah. the government be funding a portion of the private sector? Um, you know, but the health se- the the health sector is much more delicate
1: and much more important.
0: I think so, but it's it's delicate in the sense where if you have public funds going into the private sector, then the argument of universal healthcare is, is mute. Is, exactly,
1: I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't,
0: and that's where you have the federal guys coming in and saying, yeah. "Hmm, wait a second. And even though uh, health is a provincial jurisdiction, uh, yeah. because you're in Canada and you know we have health, uh, you know, universal healthcare, they come in and step on your toes and say, "Wait a minute, you can't do that because." we have universal healthcare, so what are you doing? Why are you transferring the funds that we're giving you to the private sector when it should be going to uh,
1: Why do that? Because I don't agree with that they should do that. I believe, especially because the private sector, I see it as a business. Yeah. So an efficient business, right? Grows, it has its own expenses. I Maybe in forms of a tax cut to help them grow, that's a different story, but to actually allocate medical funds to the private sector, the way we're set up government-wise, the fact that we're supposed to have universal, that to me, you're, you're correct, is uh, ludicrous. Yeah. It's a little crazy. Well,
0: look, there there was, there were, uh, and I could be wrong, but um, there were efforts to kind of uh, support the private sector because they were relieving the public sector. So some surgeries, okay, they yeah. were taken up by the public, uh, by the private sectors. Um, you know, uh, in the last four years, they, they did the um, super clinics, which basically, you know, it's owned privately, uh, but it's a consortium of, uh, you know, five.
1: Oh, are they owned privately? The super, the super hospital?
0: Not the super hospital. They're they're super clinics. So basically, you ha- there's there's a bunch of criteria that you need to 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 have to qualify, and the government comes in and they 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 support you more on an administrative level, right? Uh, pay staff, you know, some equipment and everything. But the idea is that we're gonna get a bunch of family doctors together. We're gonna call it a super clinic. This is how much money you get to support that kind of project. And the clinics are open like, you know, 12, 13 hours a day, seven days a week. So uh, in the end, you're getting m- much more people out of your your hospital because they don't need to be there clogging up the emergency rooms and all right. that stuff. And you're providing um, a space where, yes, it's owned privately, but the public is kind of facilitating it because it helps them out in 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 the end. Right. Yeah. So and. I think it was a fantastic project. And it's not because it it's was... a good
1: argument, though.
0: And, and it's not because uh, I worked in that guy room, but the fact that, you know, the, the biggest problem is that nobody has a family doctor today. So, yeah. you know, you, something happens to you, you end up in the emergency room and you don't need to be there. So you're taking up space, you know, I mean, you're clogging up the system. So the fact that these clinics existed where you can just walk in at no appointment, be seen by a doctor and automatically acquire a family doctor. So you know, for, That's so amazing. For the, yeah. It's amazing. So, So there's these kind of programs and these strategies that, you know why not support that right uh, because at the end you're benefiting you're benefiting from it. that that's you a know?
1: very good argument those are, that's a good example so
0: there's stuff like this um but you know look politics comes comes into play and you know that's the bad thing like I, that I've always hated about politics cuz i I've never been like a super partisan guy where Yeah, who gives a shit? You know what I mean? I, I just want the right thing to be done and Exactly. You know, so you should be able to acknowledge the good things that people have done and obviously the bad things well you, you know you profit from that to kind of bash your <laughs> your opponents, you know? Oh, in politics
1: you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you Cuz not cuz the citizen doesn't give a fuck. Like I don't care who screwed up. I care about you fixing it. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. as a citizen sometimes yeah. you you'll you'll see people that are very partisan and they'll just be like, "Oh, they're they're bad. They're they're criminals or whatever." Yeah. But I don't care. Even now what's happening with the government uh, fix it yeah and uh, what's happening with Trudeau now that whole uh, scandal or this and so, there, I don't think there's another leader that could have been in power that would have done anything differently no. and I love to make fun of Trudeau but how can you have done something different? well look see this is the situation this particular situation how situ- can you have
0: done something differently this is like uh, what's it called um, uh, whatever I'm trying to think of an expression but it's not coming but um, whatever you, whatever he would have done in this situation and we're talking about the SNC Lavalin thing, thing um, You would have been slammed anyway. You would have been, yeah. You sit back and you watch this company close its headquarters and lose whatever, 9,000 jobs or 4,000 in Quebec alone. You're getting destroyed. And it's an election year for you, by the way. Um, You try to get involved to try to save the situation. And they're yelling obstruction of justice. You which he's I
1: mean? he, he, was crazy is uh my buddy he's a comedian Abba from Abba and Preach they have a big YouTube channel. He said the best thing about this he goes because what he did is technically wrong to obstruct justice but he said but he, he was using the dark uh, he goes he was using the dark side of the force to do good <laughs> which is true and you're like fuck can you. Can you not see things that way? Like sometimes you need to do an unorthodox thing yeah.
0: to help the greater good. But then again, you come down to the communications aspect. and this yeah, is they did what not I, communicate no, properly. This is what I think, this is where I think they failed. But at the same time, look, man, it's very easy now to look back and say what should have been done, right? You don't know. Uh, yeah, no, no.
1: But um, My thing is, he. it seems like, the, you know, the problem is personally with Trudeau, and you, you don't have to agree with me because I know you know the guy, but I feel like a lot of his charisma is 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 fake it's in the sense that it's no, it's written speech because he regurgitates his own talking points without thinking. Look, so when he was yeah. asked about the thirty five thousand dollars prostitution bill, okay, <laughs> he already had an answer in place in his head before the question was asked, and he didn't hear the question. So when he responds to, "You're supposed to be woke." why would you you know uh, yeah. why would they spend 35,000 dollars on prostitutes and he says because uh, i need to protect the high paying jobs that sounds like you think yeah. prostitutes are the high paying jobs in canada cuz <laughs> cuz you just you were ready with an answer you didn't think you didn't take in the we're question com- we're coming
0: back to a whole communications thing and yeah.
1: um bit of a doof I, when he does things like that.
0: Look, I think that's where um you know they failed a little bit and especially uh in this particular file where he should have taken a, a much bigger uh role as a leader, I would have come out on the attack yeah. and accused my adversaries of not caring for jobs and for headquarters that we need to preserve in Canada. Um you know, trying to hide the information because you think it's just going to disappear. Yeah, that's and, but problem. that but that's a very common reflex, right, in politics because you know, the window is whatever, not even 24 hours. It goes in the media, uh, your six o'clock news or your 11 o'clock news and you're, you're placing the bet that by tomorrow it's gone it's, yeah. you know, or in two days. Yeah, nobody yeah. was even going to think about that. There's other things coming up, but this was so big to the point where, you know, you had cabinet ministers resigning and it was just a big mess. You should have thought about all this, you know, and you should have just thought about your communications a little bit better. But uh, frankly, in this particular uh File. I really don't think that the guy did anything wrong, and I think he did what pretty much anybody would have done. Your citizens expect you to do yeah. right. Step up. You're the leader. Uh, we're about to lose nine thousand jobs. Yeah. Uh, get involved. Of course, respect the law, right? But, but yeah, uh, you know they're in court. But there's provisions in the law that allow for your attorney in, general your involvement to, uh, to to come in and say, "Look, this is a public policy issue, and we need to protect it." Uh, and the company and its employees cannot be. Uh, you know they they can't take the fall for something that the top execs did whatever number of years ago, yeah. And who are in the process of being accused, or you know they're they're you know they're waiting to for for their court hearing
1: extradited to Guantanamo. You know so. And, and again- I, I agree with you. I, I agree 100. percent Like I said, I I, I like to. I don't believe but in it, this it's, whole partisan. It, it.
0: all comes down to communications. It could have been managed, I think, much much better. But then again, look, you if know, he was it,
1: smart, they would have hired me. I would have wrote a speech.
0: <laughs> yeah, but again, I think that it's also a little bit ridiculous to look back and say, "Oh, this is what you should have done." Now that we've seen how the now situation has how, evolved, right? Yeah. So it's very, it's very touchy. And you know, look, for me, honestly, this is one of the nicest parts about my job because. Uh, this is what I loved about politics. Okay. How do we react? Embarrassing Trudeau. No, no, not embarrassing Trudeau, (laughs) but whatever the situation is. Okay. How do we react? How do we, you know, uh, how do
1: we spin this?
0: (laughs) It's a big word in politics. Yeah. How do we spin this? You know?
1: Well, he could have easily been like, he could have just went on that type of like, what do you mean? You tell me you don't like prostitutes. (laughs) And then have him Everyone raise his arms. Just have him raise his arms inside probably be like, who here doesn't like prostitutes? And then see how that goes. <laughs> oh my God. But you know, I mean All right, let's get back on track because I feel like I've derailed you no, no, yeah, for my own personal uh, political game.
0: No, no, but I follow you, man, and you're you're very political as well. So I mean yeah. I kind of expected the to kind of uh draw a tangent like this,
1: but,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um Tell me something, you, you you were in Toronto recently, something yeah, about Netflix. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, so what was I doing in Toronto? So my buddy, uh, so last year I also, because I I forget a lot that happens in the year, but I met, um, I don't know if you ever watched uh, this new Netflix show called Umbrella Academy. No. So my buddy Robert Sheehan is on that. I met him last year at uh, at the Comedy Club, at the Comedy Nest. Okay. So essentially what happened is he's he's an actor, he's he's in that new Peter Jackson film, More Legends. he was in Misfits, He's he's been acting for a while and Umbrella Academy just came out and that's hu- it's huge. It's oh, like yeah? Netflix okay. is the yeah, biggest show. It's a superhero show um, and he has a really good part in that. So he's one of the main heroes and uh, so I met him last year at a comedy club. Again, it's one of those things of just time and, and chance, I guess. Uh, he approached me after a show and he has a thick Irish accent and he told me how much he liked my set and he hated everyone else on stage so I laughed at that uh, and then I realized that I knew his face. I was like, don't I know you from somewhere? You know, don't I know you from Misfits? So we started we started talking um, he was going back to Toronto the day after to continue shooting the Umbrella Academy but I think Mary J. Blige was like a couple of days late so he had a day off so he mm-hmm. came to Montreal to experience it and I told him too bad you're leaving, if I knew you were around for longer I would have brought you on my podcast and then he's like oh you have a podcast Pantelis and I was like yeah, he's like fuck it let's do it now so we went like 2 in the morning, grabbed some beers, <laughs> opened up the studio and started recording and then I got that on, on, on tape, it was a good podcast at the time um, and I didn't think much of it, you know, we kept in contact, we were talking, then he approached me about, uh, one of my jokes that I said on stage and to maybe write a show about that. Mm-hmm. And, but we didn't, we didn't speak about it for a while. He was busy. I was busy. We're doing our own thing. Then this comes out and Bell Academy comes out. It's huge. Uh, but before it came out, he invited me to go to the premiere in Toronto to meet with him and, uh, you know, watch the premiere of the show a day before it comes out for everyone on Netflix. And the goal was, when he contacted me, to go down there and we start writing because now he's serious about making that show based on that joke. Mm-hmm. But what ended up happening is when I went down there, we did the premiere. We saw that. it's fucking It was fantastic. Um, And then we went out. We hung out. We spent the rest of the weekend just putting down our ideas for the show. The show evolved from what started as my joke to something so crazy and wacky but hilarious, right? So now I'm in the process of writing that. Uh, And we don't like, I I know that he wants, you know, we write and we'll get Netflix to do it and we do it. I don't know where it's going to end up or when it's going to happen because the problem with these things is it could take time. I could be done in a year Mm -hmm. when I'm, because I'm super busy too. Um, But the point is that's another fantastic thing that I'm working on right now. And and I like putting my, my writing chops and I like writing for someone else because I know the way he talks and the way he acts. Right. So I'm writing his character specifically for him. So this is you know? a, this
0: is a complete different show that has nothing to do with the umbrella.
1: Nothing, to, nothing to do at all. Just to, he he liked one of my jokes. He thought it would be uh, good to make a show based on that. Yeah. And then as we're writing, you know, we make he he makes me laugh. I make him laugh, and little jokes come out of it. And then we're like, no, fuck it, let's go this route. Let's go this route. And it turned like when it all comes out and you see the show and you see where it started from. There's no way you can make that connection. It's completely different. Yeah,
0: that's fantastic, man. Yeah. Honestly, the fact that. Uh that you've evolved and again this is going back to what we're saying you know people think that What's going on, man? It's like you just appeared on the scene, and finally, all these things are happening. I mean, there's so much work involved <laughs> so much work, behind man. the scenes, man. Uh, there's so me-
1: much yelling about politics in between. That- <laughs> that's that's
0: okay. If 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 it can inspire you to grow, then you know, blame <laughs> blame it on the politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about your process. I mean, how do you um, how do you go through? How do you write your stuff? Uh, a lot of your comedy, I and you mentioned it before, is, is very personal. It's very um, you know anecdotal. Um, is this the the realm of comedy? That that, you, that, that you're most comfortable in? I mean, do you see yourself doing something else? Um,
1: yeah. Um, I don't know, it's weird, because writing, you, here's the thing, is getting, um, living is just getting the stories, right? Just my life and talking about people I grew up with or things like that. That's I go like through. your
0: main inspiration, basically just observing.
1: But turning that into a joke on stage, that's, that's the, the issue. Mm-hmm. That's the creative process. So a lot of funny things happen to everyone every mm-hmm. day to translate that to a joke that works with a hidden punchline you know you have the setup and then you sneak in a punchline maybe you add a tag that's where the skill comes in and that's also what drives you crazy because sometimes you have a really good story and you can't turn it into a good joke Mm -hmm. and i had that with a joke of mine now that i've been trying to do for six months a certain joke that is a great story a real life story but i couldn't for the life of me get it to work on stage yeah and then the last month I finally got the pieces together. Yeah. I finally get to work on stage. Yeah. And every time I've been doing it now, the last four weeks, uh, change little things and yeah. it works better and it works. Yeah. Well. Oh, now it didn't work as good. So I got to put this back in. And that little tweaking and that little, that process of it is, uh, it's frustrating. That's so rewarding when it works. Like when you see all your hard work on a joke, because that's what a joke is. If I was a restaurant owner, it would be a meal. It would be, you know, that perfecting that meal, you know? The only shitty thing is that once I perfect that full hour and I record it, I have to get rid of that amazing food and start fresh.
0: I was gonna ask you about that because, you know, there's been so much evolution, especially with social media. Everyone has a camera now. And yeah. especially for you, it must suck that, you know, you work so hard on a bit, you perform it, it goes well. And then you're like, okay, everybody knows it now. Yeah. How much can I repeat it? You know, H- H- I mean?
1: How much can I stretch this out? So for me, it's it's a problem now because uh, some of my strongest things, I haven't gotten on tape yet, but I've done a lot around. So I want to, at the end of the summer, record a uh, uh, special or whatever the fuck you want to call mm-hmm. it. But um, uh, I think about an hour I want to do. And get rid of everything, do all that, do everything I've been doing for the last two years that I haven't recorded, uh, all my new stuff, get it on tape and then start fresh again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always motivating. But I do have that issue when I go on stage. I'm like, oh, have they seen this? Have they heard it? And then when it's not filmed, I'll say something that I think everybody's heard and everyone laughs like they haven't heard it. So I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I haven't performed in front of that many people in this city. Yeah. Uh, that's why you gotta go to different cities, by the way. That's always fun when people have never heard any of your stuff. It's great. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you you have to force yourself to evolve. So my trick is that. My trick is this summer, film everything I have. I have no choice after. Once it's out in public, I can't go perform a set that you've already seen. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be funny for you. Yeah. You know the punchlines. So it forces you to write new stuff. So But a joke is also never – it's hard to let go of a joke because a joke is never really ready ever. It's never, it's never like fully ready because mm-hmm. you can always tweak it. Every time you go on stage, you say something a little different, you change something, you see what works. So it's, sometimes it's hard to let go of a joke that works. Yeah, but at the same time, you don't want to be that boring guy that just has the same content. Yeah, that's the other thing. You can't day. be. That's why you can't be. So you force yourself in different ways. I, I know people who, I mean, I know the, it's hacky, but. They've been doing the same jokes for 10 years. I can't do that. Yeah. Because you see the stuff I talk about, right? Like politics, current events. I'll talk about Well, you Trump, have I'll to. Talk- yeah. You're, you're, so I have to, I can't use the same joke I was using 10 years ago. It it would. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I have to keep evolving. So the trick is for me is that, is is my uh, end is the tape. Once it's recorded and it's out there, publicly available. Yeah then I have no choice. So even if I want to do the same jokes, I can't because nobody's going to hire me to do something they can see for free.
0: Well, also the fact that you're working and collaborating with all these different people now, I mean, it gets you much more exposed mm-hmm. than you would normally be on a regular basis if you were just to perform here in Montreal. Oh, of you course, can just of keep course. repeating the same thing. Uh, the fact that there's all these people in your life now and you know, you're know you on YouTube, people are following you, you have so much exposure, uh, you you have no choice but yeah. to um, uh, to keep growing. Which is a good thing, I think.
1: It's a good thing. It pushes you to do stuff that you didn't think you could do. I mean, like you see on YouTube, we started that news show with uh, yeah, with Phil, with Phil yeah. last year. <laughs> and it took a couple of months. To, now it's finally hitting its stride. Now we're getting uh, you know, subscribers, views. It, but it took, it took work. It took a lot of setup.
0: It's consistency also, right? I mean, uh, how many things have you started? And then you're just you're like, ah, whatever, you know, let's move on. But And it's what you said about the podcasting. Yeah. People didn't know that behind where you are now. I mean, there was like 10 years of podcasting. Yeah. They didn't know for you to perfect, you know, your, 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 your comfort zone and the way you speak and you know how to, you know, come in and out of the topics and everything. I mean, it's, it, it's an art form, I think.
1: And I and had it's skill. someone, it's funny that you bring that up. Someone that we both know actually, but, uh, I had a conversation with her at, uh, at a cafe, probably, uh, the summer of 2017, I want to say. And, she was kind of almost grilling me on podcasting mm. like, well, what a waste of time what are you doing? what's this and what's the point and I was trying to explain to her like, no, no, it's you know it's monetized and you know there's this and there's ads and it's like but how can that even work and what is probably and and kind of trying to tell me that I'm a bit of an idiot for doing it <laughs> yeah. but not in those words and I was a little taken aback I go but I'm explaining to her that there's money in this that yeah. there's it but they, they she just wouldn't listen and then not a year goes by it was about six seven months where like two drink minimum picked up and all yeah. that and it was like one of the first people that I wanted to see and be like, you see stupid, <laughs> you just got to work at it. You just have to put the elbow grease in. Nothing works out in the beginning. Like You have to, everything, there's work in everything, or right? even a marriage, you don't just sit there and it works, right? Oh, you got to work at yeah. it. You got to make sacrifices. So everything you put in the work, you reap the rewards, unless the government comes in and takes half of those rewards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but here, but here's, here's what I enjoy uh, about you particularly. The fact that obviously you're doing what you love, um, And you've created, you know, podcasts, uh, all these series and everything. And and it's what we were saying before. It, It feels like the flow is so natural because it's, you know, you're in your element and you're just doing what you love. And... You know, people are watching and they're like, this guy's just having the the time of his life, (laughs) right? But behind the scenes, there's this whole thing happening where, you know, we got to think about monetization. We got to think, okay, exposure. What's next? Who do we collaborate with? Uh, How can we tap onto that clientele? And, you know, I mean, there's so many things.
1: There's the business. I mean, people don't know, but already just for two drink minimum, I already, me and Mike already have... There's stuff that we're already working on for the next couple of months that people don't know about. Yeah. Um, even little things like graphics, for example, there's new graphics to the show that I have, I created. They haven't, they're not public yet because we're waiting for a reason to switch the feel of the show and all that. But all that stuff is being done behind, and these are little things, little tweaks. Yeah. Um. All the, there's constant work being done. Uh, My business Because for so many years I worked in You know Developing mobile mobile apps Mm -hmm. And working with teams Having to organize teams So that organization Is always in the back of my head That business mind Is always working So I'm always thinking A couple of steps ahead I'm always trying to, To innovate Before I have to innovate Or I adapt Like my whole podcast setup We're ready to go live now If ever we wanted We could go live With three simultaneous cameras Just like Joe Rogan does Yeah I have that setup right now We're ready We don't need it right now, but it's ready for when we do. I have that ready. And the way I did it is I adapted techniques that people were using for streaming video games. Yeah. I stole their techniques. I took the techniques that they were using for that. And I was like, wait, I could adapt this to what I'm doing, right? For a much lower cost Mm -hmm. than an actual studio with a TriCaster. You know, we don't have to invest that much. So I took techniques that were working for other people that need to do similar work. I adapted them. You know, I made the changes that I needed. And now it works for us, you know? So I find ways to, I'm very resourceful. I find ways to get the shit done that needs to get done. So
0: t- tell me what the, what the end goal is. Obviously, you know, comedy is the thing. Um, you want to continue growing that, but it just seems that this other stuff that you're working on, the podcast and YouTube and all that, it's taken off. Um, is it always going to be one complementing the other or are you going to transition to just, you know, we'll just be doing the podcast because it's easier or whatever? Uh, what's, what's the strategy? What's the goal here?
1: uh that's my my life goal i don't know start a family um for i you know you throw a lot of stuff at the wall and see what sticks so i love i love both podcasting and stand-up i love them both um different kinds of love you know like in like women in your life you know, you meet different women along the way and you love them all differently um so it, that but that's what it is it really is that it's a different type of love so i think stand-up is kind of my natural in a sense, love, because it's that easy, go up there and execute, just talk and see, you know? But podcasting, it kind of has that feel too. I have that same, I just don't get the instant reaction. That That's the one thing about stand-up that makes it addictive, is if something works, if something's funny, you know right away. Yeah, It's not the same with podcasting. You say stuff in podcasting that you don't even realize is going to be controversial, mm-hmm. and then a day later... Uh, you have to explain yourself on twitter <laughs> so it's, it's true it's just how it is so that that delay makes it feel different but they're kind of in in the same vein of you sharing yourself with the public yeah uh just at that, that instant but but i'd like to be able to do both now with the whole writing so uh, you know i'm writing um i'm writing for comics uh for comedians right uh, people that don't even know i'm writing for other shows um so there's a lot of stuff like i had my my buddy called me the other day um you know milton
0: yeah How's he doing?
1: He's doing well. He, he lives in the States now. But something funny happened with him. So uh, we were just talking comedy on the phone. And he mentioned how, oh, you know who I find funny, who I really like? He's like that Steven Crowder guy. He's like, that guy is really funny. I go, oh, yeah, you've been watching him. You find him really funny. He's like, Yeah, I find his stuff funny. I go, Yeah, that's because you find me funny. <laughs> I him, right. I'm the one writing. I write that <laughs> yeah. Shit. Yeah. But it was just so it was such a funny moment. Uh, just to have him being like, Yeah, you you do still have the same sense of humor. Cause you're you're talking to the guy that you didn't know yeah. was on that show, was writing on yeah. that show when you were talking to him. So I, I like that little element of surprise. Plus I have my other friends that like Abba and Preach were doing a lot of sketches now. So I get to exercise. Uh, and a lot of different passions that I have. I don't like acting, mm-hmm. but I do it because uh, I have to, but uh, you know, like for sketches and things like that. Yeah. I don't, you know how people are like, oh, I love acting and the met, like my buddy Robert Sheehan loves acting. He understands it. He has a method to it. Mm-hmm. He's, he's He's something else. He's, you could write a, you could have a documentary just on the way he thinks, and the way he sees acting. Yeah. And I respect that because that's how I see comedy. Yeah. But for acting, like I never had a dream of being famous. I don't care about fame. So I don't care about being a front of the camera. I care about being happy. If I could live doing something that makes me happy, which is what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. then I've won at life. You know, I'm victorious. So I think if your goal is something that makes you happy and it's not to make other people happy in 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 contrast to making people happy by default because you're happy. Yeah. So, stand up, that's what it is. I'm happy because you're happy and I'm happy. And we're laughing, we're sharing a good moment. I love it.
0: And you're feeding off each other also.
1: Yeah. But it's not about being, because a lot of people ask me this about fame and stuff. Like, I'm, I'm not famous now. I don't think I'm going to be, fa- and you know, famous in, in a grand sense. I don't think I'm going to be famous because I don't search for it and I don't want it. I don't, I, I would never want to be. Allow, like people see you and they stop you in the street and they, that, there's, that's not a way to live like yeah. I love my life I like being able to go to the cafe yeah. people yell at me people are comfortable telling me to go fuck myself I love that <laughs> I don't want to lose that you know I love that I never yeah
0: but uh, just to go back into the into the comedy um, uh, scene how often does it happen where I mean you're obviously much more comfortable now on scene than you were when you were starting are you asking if I bomb? have you ever? oh of course I
1: bombed last week yeah, yeah. Well, everybody bombed. It was a shit show, but um. So I knew going in, like, uh, so I was headlining. I, I was the last one, so I got to see impending doom. I got <laughs> to see all my friends bomb before me, and know that I'm gonna bomb. <laughs> this is
0: what I'm walking into right and, now, and
1: and them telling me and them laughing because they're like, and you're you're closing, so you have to do more time than we do. <laughs> so have fun, buddy. So you know, um, so yeah, you bomb, but there's different. Most of the time, you bomb because of you. Like people who blame the audience all the time. It's 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 not more than half the time it's you like it's rare that it's the audience like a lot of times you but it does happen I, I have been like the one on Saturday the audience did not look like they wanted to be there they didn't laugh at anyone it's as if we forced them to well, be there well
0: it's kind of strange that every single comic that went before yeah. you kind of bombed and then you're like
1: come on the, the so the guy that put on that show he was even like oh it happens like once every because they put that show on I think once a month or something it's like it happens once in a while where we get these people that come in and I guess they're coming in for the food. They don't know their stand like I don't know what the fuck it is. So then I got it what I did is I got into an argument with some people in the front because it was cause my jokes weren't hitting. They didn't want to listen to jokes. Yeah. So there was these girls from San Francisco. And uh, they were super, super uh, anti-Trump and this and that. So yeah. I figured I'd play on that. Yeah. So I started complimenting Trump, knowing it'll bother them. And they started to freak out. He's a racist. He's I go, come on. He got You guys did the women's march. He got you guys all out of the kitchen. He got you walking. got you some fresh air. He did good. So just things that I knew would bother them, right? Yeah. So And then that made the comedians laugh. That made other people laugh because they saw what I was doing. Yeah. They're like, he's saying things to bother you. It's not... He doesn't believe what he's saying. he's saying things just to bother you. How often so. does
0: it happen that you need to adapt that way because, you know, your stuff is either not connecting with people or, well, I don't want to say that your material sucks, but, no. you know, sometimes, like you yeah, said.
1: sometimes I mean- it's, yeah, your material could suck or your material could suck for a room. So I've been very, very lucky that I think the advantage of talking about yourself and talking about your life is that the material is rarely the problem. Like I'll, I'll, I don't know, unless I'm talking to a room full of Japanese people that don't speak English. Yeah. But in general, people understand what I'm saying. So they're like, oh, I feel what it like, I haven't had that exact scenario, but I have friends like that. I know what he means. So I don't have that much trouble connecting with people, though it does happen sometimes that people that don't get irony or don't get sarcasm, yeah. It goes over their head. And those kind of people I'll lose. But in general, no, I have I have good time, I have good sets. I can, like I'm not gonna lie and be like, oh, I have trouble, I'm bombing. It's not true. I have a lot of fun on stage. People, people like to laugh with me. But I do get those people that they'll meet me after the show and they'll say things that I think are insane. They'll be like, "So you're misogynistic or you're racist?" They're like, "Wow, you understood nothing of what I just said." Like overanalyzing. Dude, over- it's a joke, you they- know? Just dude, it's a joke, and not just as a joke. If you listen to, <laughs> you have to understand that when I make fun of something, it might not be de- like there's sarcasm in a lot of stuff I say, and I do it on purpose. Like, uh, whether one guy came to tell me about how I should be nicer to my nephew. Cause I was making fun of my nephew on stage yeah. and I was saying what kind of garbage kid he was. And then I let him know that like, I'm the best on like, I love these, you know, yeah. but it's a joke. Yeah. It's, it's a joke. It's about parenting. It's a, you know, it's, it's crazy how people understand. And it's funny that you're working
0: with Mike Ward because everyone that knows him knows how controversial, um, Uh, got but they overdo it with
1: him and not just with that case in specific that he's he had to go to the human rights tribunal which is ridiculous in itself but in when we did the Joe Rogan experience Mm -hmm. listen to listen to how crazy the Quebec media is so Joe Rogan experience just so we're all on the same page Joe Rogan he has the biggest show on the planet it's the biggest podcast on the planet okay it's a huge deal the first Montreal comedian to be on there was me. The first comedian from Quebec City to be on there was Mike Ward, okay? Mm-hmm. Instead of us celebrating that, what happens? We're out of the studio. We're out of Joe Rogan studio for 10 minutes. The phones are ablaze. All the papers are picking up. Mike Ward supports the Hells Angels. Oh, he yeah, says yeah, they're yeah. great guys. <laughs> so I I get a message from my cousin a day later in Alberta a photo of one of their newspapers, National Post, wherever they get there, with Joe Rogan, Mike Ward, and me like this in the background that says, you know, Mike Ward went on Joe Rogan and supports the hell. Like, what were they talking about? That was one story yeah. where he talked about when people looked out for him that he didn't know um, in a, what was that, three, four hour uh, interview? Yeah. Come on guys, like that's insane. Instead of acknowledging what just happened, which is insane that that kid from Park X Mike Ward went down and were on Joe Rogan, yeah, never acknowledging that how big that is, just saying this guy loves the hell's angels, he says they're good people it's it's insane, it's insane, yeah, so it's. <laughs> But he doesn't take it the way he would have before. Now it's all like because he went through a tough time. Well, for sure. I mean, after everything that happened that happened to him, you obviously take a hit, right? I mean, uh, uh, he was depressed. He's talk- he's spoken about this before. It was a very bad um, it was a very bad time that he had. He's spoken about it on the show too. And I'm going to interview him on my uh, podcast soon just to get all the details so people out there know what went on during yeah. that time. But it-, it wasn't it wasn't easy for him. It was very bad. People were sending him death threats. People wanted to kill him. It wasn't what people think. Um, so now though, the good thing is that's why I like being around Mike. Cause I think I, I, I think he gets some of that Parkex Greek energy of fuck him. Yeah, I think that, that rubs off on him a bit. Cause it's just how we feel now. We're like, fuck, they'll say, if somebody wants to say bad things about you, they're going to say them. Yeah. If somebody wants to think something bad, if somebody wishes, they're going to do it anyway. There's, I can't change your <sighs> mind. Like I'm, I'm going to do what I do. It's and- very,
0: it's very difficult though, to create that hard. Shell, yeah. Where these personal attacks will just bounce right off you, right? uh For me,
1: it's easy. You know why? Yeah. Growing up, the worst things, that, the worst insults anybody ever gave me was my best friends, like the people <laughs> who were the meanest to me were my <laughs> friends. It's just how we were, right? We yeah, were very. Yeah. So I got so there's nothing you could tell me that is gonna hurt my feelings. Yeah,
0: but see, look, it's very different because they're your friends and because you know each other. But that's what makes it. it yeah, but it's not hurtful. But that's, when that's what get, makes it
1: personal. So if a stranger, a stranger could tell me things that are ten times worse. I'll be like, yeah, I don't care. My yeah, you don't people care. People that I know have told me worse things this.
0: But when it reaches a point where the media is after you, mm. uh, you know, like you open a newspaper and you're there. Uh, you turn on the radio and they're talking about you.
1: But TV. they do it only to get a reaction. So for Mike, what's interesting is like in the Journal de Montréal, they always, even though I'm with him, I do a lot of stuff. They always avoid me because everybody for some reason assumes that I don't speak French. Yeah. So they're not going to get a reaction. So they don't talk about it
0: yeah but there's nothing really that you've done no no but i mean they they don't
1: so i I always tell mike like i don't care he's like yeah but you don't speak french they're never gonna unless they fit the second they figure out like when i do mike's french show and they figure out i do french he goes Mm -hmm. then they're gonna try to say that oh he said this it's racist just to piss you off but because you're they won't write about you he goes they won't write about you even if you because they think you don't so that means that they're doing it for reaction yeah because if they were doing it for the news They would report on the news, right? They would have said, you know, things that won't get a reaction or things that won't get a reaction from me because I don't speak. But, oh, Pentel said this on Joe Rogan or Pentel said this with Mike because we said some pretty crazy shit in English. Um, Nothing. Yeah. Because they know I could give two fucks and they think I don't speak the language, which to me is crazy. Because I was born here, <laughs> I'm fluent. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm waiting for the day where they say something stupid, or I say something stupid, and it comes out there, just to reiterate to everyone that I could care fucking less. Yeah. Because they, they have no bearing on you unless you let them. But it was a
0: it was a big it was a big issue also though. But I I remember he was getting a lot of support, especially from his peers, right? And you would yeah. expect naturally for them to support him because it's such a huge issue where you're trying to you know uh, shut people up for a joke man you know what i
1: mean it's more than that it's also blown out of context the and the details surrounding it are also a little that kid was not that kid got harassed by people because he says oh i got harassed by people yeah he only got harassed by people after they went to sue mike ward and people people that mike didn't put up but people who saw the case were like what human right this is stupid and then they attacked him online when the joke came out it was a joke on stage it was a joke in a special it came, it went. Yeah, People didn't reach out to the kid for comment. Yeah, It was years later when his mother decided we could probably milk this, make some money. Yeah. And then the kid came out. And then once, so last summer he performs at the Rockfest with his new shit song of I don't care. I don't care what they said about me. I'm a gangster, I don't give a fuck. And no. then now as soon as the courts go back in, in action, action, uh, I care deeply, I'm under a lot of depression. You know what I noticed that this kid's a fucker is a few months ago right before he went, because you know he's in the Court of Appeals. Yeah. Right before he was saying all this stuff, I don't care, whatever. Uh, A few days before they went to court, he went on Twitter, started shitting on everyone in Quebec, this and that. So people attacked him. I even told him to go fuck himself. He deletes his account. He closes the account and then goes to court and says, look what people tell me online. He shows the harassment, but he didn't show that. He shit on everyone. He said, I don't give a fuck about you people. He attacked everyone so he could get reactions online and then go and say, look at what they're doing to me online. That's crazy. That's like punching you in the face and then showing a video of you choking me.
0: Whatever the case is, I just think that it's really stretched to a point where like, it shouldn't have reached. No, it yeah. shouldn't,
1: it's, it's complete lunacy. The, nowhere else in the world would this have happened. Well, maybe other places. I mean, that's why the States, that's the one thing they have. The US is the only country in the world that actually values and respects freedom of speech. Huge. People don't understand that. I need you to be allowed to tell me bad things. I need you to be allowed to criticize me. I need that. Even if I don't like it. it we have to allow that discourse to take place. You got to be able to make fun of me. Everything up to the point of trying to get people to kill me. If you start saying, we need to kill this person, that's the limit. Well, obviously, yeah. That's the limit. But anything before that, calling me stupid, making fun of me ugly or whatever, <laughs> whether I like it or not, I need you to have that right because I need to have that right. I'm we cu- need to all respect I'm that. I'm
0: curious to, to know if there's any precedent on what's happening.
1: I, I, no, he's going to set the precedent. Yeah. This is going to be, that's why he said, even though it costs so much and, it, and it, it was devastating at the time when it happened, um, he needs to see it through to the end because if he doesn't, it's going to set. So very, many would have followed. So many this, would yeah. have. Yeah. People. You saw that guy in Vancouver? Uh, open Micer. An open Micer who made fun of two lesbians in the crowd Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah an open Micer yeah. who's forced to pay, I don't know how many. He has no money. He's an open Micer for a joke. And, and there the was ones a lesbian who, thing, I think. Well, they, they were heckling him. Okay. And then he made fun of them. Yeah. And then they sued him. This is Canada. It's insane. You're the ones heckling. What do you think is going to happen at a comedy show if you heckle the comic? Yeah. And especially, And you fell on an open Micer. Shit, imagine falling on me. Yeah. or on mic, yeah. well, your girlfriend will get a, she'll break up with you right there. Like, I can't hang out with this embarrassment. <laughs> she got ruined in front of people.
0: <laughs> you know? Uh, talk to me a little bit. You mentioned about doing the French show. Uh, yeah, yeah. How comfortable were you at? Um...
1: Uh, I, didn't, I didn't do his French uh, podcast. Yet. But I'm going to do it soon. You're going to do it. Yeah. You're, you're only doing it in English. Are you thinking of doing French? No. Uh, there's a lot of money in French comedy, but I, I don't do it. And people, so Mike's fans, it's funny because Mike's fans mostly comment on this and say, how come Patel doesn't do it in French? It's not fair that he does it in English. Why are the Americans getting it? He's from here. Yeah. We should get the jokes. <laughs> so that, which is flattering. But the only reason, I've done French comedy once mm-hmm. on a bet. Uh, so I went to an open mic and French do it. And they had fun with me. They laughed. I think the accent made them laugh a lot because mm-hmm. I have a thick accent. Uh, the only reason I don't is because even though I get the sense of humor and I could laugh at it, like I'll watch Mike's stuff. I, under- I was born here. I mm-hmm. get it. My jokes, or rather my sense of humor, the way I say things, works so much better in this americanized anglo anglo american stand up I
0: don't think so, man. I think it's just the way your brain processes. The way that you express the joke, but if Maybe. you, I think if you were more accustomed to like the French, uh, uh, but there's
1: a lot of money to be made on the French scene.
0: I, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, you're in stupid Quebec, right? Stupid well,
1: money. I'm not even joking. Yeah, eh? ridiculous money to me in the French scene. Like that is a successful scene. Like even the way they take care of their comics, even the French side of the festival. Well,
0: there's a lot of French comics that are making a lot yeah. of money.
1: Martin Mat. Uh, oh, they're very sad. and they're and they're good. They're, they're they
0: have Louis Joseph Wood, like, What's his name? Oud there? Yeah. uh
1: I don't I don't know them all like Mike tries to show me a lot of them. He's like, "Oh, this is this person. This is the, you know, he tries. So I don't know a lot of them, but I've met uh like at the comedy club at his club, I've met a lot of and super nice people uh, and they love comedy. They um they're super supportive. I mean, a lot of them were even supportive of me uh just cuz I was with Mike yeah. before they had heard me speak and just uh so it's it's a healthy scene, it's a good scene. There's money to be made in that scene. This is
0: the, the le bordel?
1: Yeah, which is phenomenal club. I wish that uh, the they were doing it in English. That would be a nice to have two clubs here that would do English. That would be amazing.
0: So how does that contrast, I mean, between, you know, the the, the English clubs and the French uh, clubs? I mean, is there an advantage one over the other? In no, because
1: it's, it's two completely different uh, sets of people that will go to them. So now the good thing is about the, about the comedy nest is where it's at. It's at the forum. All these new condos, all these yeah, all the yeah, demographics it's super shifted. development
0: down there, yeah, yeah. It's all
1: young people that come mm-hmm. in. I I've noticed the change because I've been doing. I started doing open mics there before I was doing weekends, right? So I got to see the evolution of the crowd getting younger and younger, yeah. which is fucking insane yeah. to see that. Yeah, to see what jokes are working, what you have to shift, and now I could talk about very contemporary things.
0: But I'm curious, you know, going back to the French comics. I mean, are they uh, restricted primarily to Quebec? Uh, can they potentially grow further? I mean, does anybody they really- go to
1: France sometimes? But they get their jokes stolen. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, Sugar Sammy. Mm-hmm. So Sammy's uh, Sammy it took over France, which is amazing. We're fucking so proud of him. He. Um, so we t- I talked to him about this last time. Just he went down there and he he had that extra he had that American charisma, the stuff that we have here, like not giving a fuck. He managed to transition his comedy for the French public. Um, He's still himself. He did basically, instead of him changing and being like, okay, I'm going to do what they like. He said, this is why I'm fucking popular. No, no, for sure. And they went to him. And also the way he is, even that show that he does, he does like a Francis got talent or whatever. Yeah. 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 He's the Simon Cowell of that show. He's the bad guy on that show. And he loves it. (laughs) And he, and the thing is you can't hide talent. like he's very very talented yeah. and he's he him and Joey Elias are the two guys that are very very good at crowd work like insane like next level cl- crowd work yeah and they have like roll decks in their head. Like they're very good at crowd work. So Sammy goes there. He's very good at crowd. It's not because they do a lot of performances. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a play, but you're performing as one person. That's what a lot of their stand ups do there okay. in France. So he goes there with this stand up mentality, with his fucking on the spot. It's not a performance, it's I'll talk to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he changes the game up on them. And he won. He was uh, voted number one comic in France last year. Yeah. He got and it. And he's yeah. from here. Yeah. So it was super. That's what I'm saying. I, when me and Mike were taking over the States, like we were doing bigger things than that, he was taking over. For, it's Montreal is is uh sharing a lot of that. There's even uh, Eurovision now the Greek representative of Eurovision. Yeah, she's from is, here. she's from here yeah. it's the girl I went to school with you went she was in your grade yeah
0: yeah so
1: it's 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 amazing. I think a lot of people from here are doing
0: big things. Yeah, no, that's that, that's fantastic. It's just because I was curious to see how both those cultures—they um, have a comedy culture there of theft, sadly. No, not in France. I'm talking about here. You know, with uh, Mike Ward's club, and uh, obviously it's much more exposed to French uh, comics. But more uh, curious to know the they're, poten- they're the, the, the best audience.
1: Yeah, the, the the best audience. They're but where
0: do, where do these comics end up? I mean, th- this is what's curious to me because you're an English comic, and yeah. you're in the back of your mind, you're like, okay, look, the U.S., the U.S., you know, a huge it's market. It's not even.
1: It's not even the U.S. Like me and Mike are, are very much looking at the U.S. a yeah. lot. That's mm-hmm. why a lot of stuff that we're doing. However, it's it depends what you want to do. So, like, I'm just looking at the comic, uh, uh, and and the growth and the potential that they have. Yeah, the
0: French comic versus the 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 anglophone comic here in Quebec. What are the potential? I mean, you, you, you can't just think just France. I mean, is that what it is? Well,
1: it depends what you mean by potential because there's a lot of French-speaking countries, but you could live a very good life if you're a good French comic by doing Quebec and France. If yeah. you would just do that, you could do a very good life, do your podcast. You can have a TV show here. You know, you can do yeah. a lot yeah. but, because that's the world, right? That's your world. And you could do very successful. The fans are very good. The French fans are, are knowledgeable about comedy. They're knowledgeable about American comedy too. So they know, right? They 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 don't they don't accept hacks. Uh and they're very good audiences. The only audiences that are comparable to the French-Canadian audiences here are black <laughs> audiences, like American black audiences. Yeah. Like they're the only comparable ones. They're In both, what
0: sense? Like they're they they're very welcoming. They're with very the welcoming. Com,
1: yeah. They're both like uh the good thing about a black audience is you know if you're funny or not, like right away. But they're they let you know it. They let you feel it. Like you feel the love, you feel the uh, where some of the it's, it's weird it comes up the you know black audience versus but that's the truth they they're, they're a better audience yeah. they they won't sit on their hands they're going to express the laughter they're it's very european it's just like yeah. just like you're just like greeks they'll express it they won't be shy to laugh yeah they won't be like oh I can't laugh around these people they don't give a fuck yeah. which is amazing that's what you want in comedy yeah. you want people who are happy comfortable you know and the french scene has that the french scene here is just like that they i've seen shows that it's just regular shows comics go on to 10 minutes and the they're exploding with every comic they're showing their love they're showing their support they get every joke they wait for the p- it's, it's it's. and perfect. this
0: challenge for you is not something that's interesting for you you don't want to explore you don't want to see how you can evolve in that kind of environment
1: maybe someday but I'm doing so much now at yeah. once it would be because if I do it I want to do it properly I don't want to just take my set translate it and do it I, I want to do stuff specific for the French scene Yeah. so if I do it some, at some point it'll be you know I'll have to pour my heart into it and really work hard at it right now between Two podcasts, uh, this just thing, uh, writing for different comedians, writing for shows. Um, it's, there's so much. There's so much to it. traveling. There's so, there's so much work. I don't want to half-ass it if I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: let's close it up, man. Um, what are we expecting? Uh, what are you excited about? What's, um, you know, uh, this year, obviously, you don't know what's going on. Until I, I,
1: don't, I don't know anymore. Everything just keeps happening. It's just uh, all I know is that I'm I'm ready for the ride um right now i'm committed to the projects that i'm working on uh so we have the podcast the shows i'm writing on um i probably have another couple of trips to go down to to texas to work with crowder down there for mm-hmm. his for his stuff um we we are going to change some things around i think we're going to be flying to a different city once a month and doing podcasts from like let's say la atlanta new york nice just to get different different comics to come on to drink minimum uh but in general just that i, I want to do my stand-up uh grow film film the special at the end of the summer uh and have people enjoy it and hopefully i hope that everything i've said and i hope that if if one person gets motivated and says oh shit i could do this or anything even if it's something unrelated like i thought i could be a painter but then i thought i couldn't now i listen to this idiot i could be a painter i could do whatever you know i hope so I hope I can motivate someone.
0: Well, it's definitely something to look forward to, man. And yeah. uh, I'll be following you for sure. You know that I'm a big fan. I've always been. You're and, the biggest. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm. I'm gonna continue to be a fan because uh, you're you're a funny guy, and uh, honestly, I'm I'm super excited to see that you're evolving, that you're growing, and th- good things are happening. Um, and I appreciate your time coming here.
1: Thank you for having me, George. This is a great podcast. I can't wait to subscribe.
0: You're, you're officially the first guy. <laughs> I know, it's a
1: ma- oh why are they all
0: women? Eh? Are they all women? No, you're you I mean, I meant the first person. Oh, uh, the first uh, the uh, first
1: people kind. Yeah, oh, yeah. nice.
0: This is your episode one, man.
1: Really? Yeah, I'm number one. <laughs> you know, the thing is, nobody could ever match up to this. They can they could have better episodes, this, this but they're the never going to be number one. Exactly. This is the standard. I appreciate it, man. Thanks.